What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, the People's Podcaster, Scott Weatherly. And I'm joined by the Mancunian monster, Chris Phelps. Chris, how are you doing? You all right? <laughs> what an intro, mate. <laughs> really, I am doing really well. I cannot wait to get into this. Yeah, we're going to talk about something special. You and I are both sort of uh, a big wrestling fans from way back. And uh, I did a bit of a poll, actually. This came from a poll I did just out of sort of random to see which WrestleMania people were sort of like, if I was going to talk about one, which one I should talk about. And uh, inexplicably, WrestleMania 14 came out top. So today, you and I are going to chat about 1998's WrestleMania 14. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a doozy. So what, but let's, let's talk about wrestling first. So you are a fan. You've been a fan for, for some time. Yeah, so so I'm a couple of years older than you, Scott. I'm like 41 now. I remember I remember watching the, the Saturday afternoon stuff on ITV. So you had like Dickie Davies, you had Big Daddy, uh, mm-hmm. giant, giant haystacks. And you used to get really involved in that. Like, oh my God, you know, can he defeat and knock? All he used to do is just try and knock giant haystacks over. He went on for like 15 minutes. The matches were absolutely <laughs> terrible. The Shirley Crabtree. But then I remember they started throwing him snippets of this American wrestling. And I remember seeing like Hulk Hogan. And I obviously being a Rocky fan, I knew him from like, you know, Thunderlips and Rocky, mm. but I'd never, he'd never been accessible. And around about the early 90s, at 89, 90, we got like our first Sky Dish. And I remember getting into it. And I also remember going away on holiday to Talaka in Wales. And it was, it was split, wasn't it? So you had Sky and then you had BSB. And mm. B had on like sort of an American territory wrestling. And there was a bit, i never forget it. It was a guy who looked like Kerry Von Eric, Texas Tornado. And he wasn't. And there was a big guy was, splashed him off the top rope and it was like like the old Batman 66 stay tuned for next week's episode I'm like no and I never never found out but from that moment on I was hooked and I got uh, the top Trump's cards Mm. um, with like Hogan Warrior like Hogan and Warrior were the two like infinite the best of all of them that era and then I remember a friend of mine had WrestleMania 7 and Royal Rumble 91. He got them like at the end of 91 when they were both out. It was obviously Royal Rumble first and WrestleMania 7. And I remember like seeing the Warrior v Macho Man and that. And, and in the Royal Rumble, a Warrior loses the... I actually watched it the other day. Actually, but Warrior loses the match to Sergeant Slaughter because King Macho Man cracks him with his um, his stave thing and all that, like the uh, the staff he has. I, I, I never forget it. It was a retirement match, and I remember being absolutely in it. And from that moment on, Scott, because from, like, say, 91 up to 98, wrestling was my life. Like, we used to go on the German um, sports channel and record WrestleMania because we wouldn't pay for the pay-per-view. So at WrestleMania 8, Hogan v. Sid Justice, and I remember Papa Shango coming, obviously the Godfather and stuff like that. And I remember yeah. Warrior had not been in it for a year. Warrior was my favourite at the time. Well, even though 
my gamer tag is Hulkamani78, and it has been for like nearly 15 <laughs> years. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm off on one here, right? Sorry, but nah, go for it, keep going, it's great. And I remember me and my brother watching it, and this German content is going, Yas, Yas, Hogan, what you know, and all this <laughs> stuff. We couldn't understand it, and yeah, he could hear like Vince McMahon or uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain in the background talking, but you could hear the German commentary over it, and we watched it the next day. I remember saying to my brother, we just need the Ultimate Warrior. He's going to come back. My brother's going, no, he's not. And I, I was, that's when you're eight. I was like 13 then, 92. And mm. I remember his music coming on and it was the longest fucking run to the ring I've ever seen. Because I remember Papa Shango kept looking over his shoulders to say, come on, Jim, are you there? Yeah, you know, the yeah. Warrior. Do you know? And, and, and honestly... Is this the one where he is this one where he gets to the ring and he's he's clearly already blown up and he's sort of like yes. he's yeah <laughs> and and he'd lost about he'd lost about forty pounds of muscle because there was mm. the big steroid thing in the background with him and Hogan who was supposed to be testifying against Vince McMahon so he'd been out of the game and they were trying to show that that WWE wasn't WWF wasn't wasn't full of drug cheats or all this stuff and I'm not going to go down that route obviously but uh, they, they all came back deflated like when Hogan went to WCW he was clearly a deflated man shall we say but anyway that is where I got into wrestling and it stuck with me since then like for th- over thirty years pretty much. It's amazing because it? say it shows like you say the passion that these things can generate in people because it's it's. Um... It's one of those that sort of like I'm, I'm like you sort of like I sort of got into it when you're quite young, and you just get like swept up in it in this sort of contest of these sort of like these big sort of burly like oiled up men and sort of like you're just like it should be weird. Do you know what I mean? It should be like this is this is weird. Like, but it's not. You get one. I always loved all the gimmicks, like those late '80s gimmicks, early '90s. <laughs> like, um, I, I thought some of them were amazing. I, I was a you know I liked Hogan. I loved Savage, but like Big Boss Man. Um, you know, uh, Ted DiBiase, like the million dollar oh, man. Oh, I love DiBiase. Love him. All that, yeah. And, but then you get into, like, you know, you got Sergeant Slaughter, like coming down to the ring with his sort of, uh, with his stick and his, you know, his drill sergeant hat and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I, I loved all the sort of, like, the pomp and pageantry of it. But then you got, like, even, like, the really weird ones when they had, like, they had, like, the Mountie and... Oh, I, I, um, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Rougeau, <laughs> he's a Rougeau brother, wasn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched him. I watched him in a Royal Rumble '91. They've had, this was literally yesterday. He was like they had the main event, which was Warrior v Sergeant Slaughter, and then for some reason I thought they were the first. I sort of fast forwarded some of the bits, and we and this match was on. I thought, oh, these must be the first to enter Royal Rumble, but no, it was the Mountie v Coco Beware. And I'm like, oh, oh my god, it was absolutely <laughs> woeful. The Mountie won by using his electric. Staff thing he used to use, yeah. Um, but no, you're right. And I remember people like uh, the repo man was obviously crushed out of, um, yeah, uh, not crushed, smash out of demolition. Um, Barry, oh, what's his name? Uh, not Barry Wyndham, uh, I can't remember his bloody name now, but uh, he was there. There was people like, do you ever remember, uh, oh, what was he called, Skinner, the guy who lived in like the Never Everglades of America. He had like a snake. Oh, I remember <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> People like that, like proper shit ones, and they and they bring them out, wouldn't they? Like we had Doink the Clown. Doink the Clown had about Doink. eight different variations, didn't he? Yeah, he was. Well, that was it. That, that's what I so love, like you said, because it was clear, like that, at that point, like Vince and the writing team were just like, no gimmicks are the thing. And like you say, when you look into it, and you say you find out that these are guys that have clearly been like working the ter- territories like, and have like a history of being like a really good worker. And they get to the WWF, they think, oh, that's it, I'm up to the big times now, I'm going to make some money. And they go, no, 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 we're going to dress you as a Mountie and, you know, you've, you, I don't care what you've done before, we're going to dress you as a Mountie and that's your gimmick. 
you're like, oh, it's crazy. Do, do you ever remember SummerSlam 91 when the Mountie went against Big Boss Man? Because Big Boss Man was always a baddie up to this mm. point, and then he'd lost loads of weight. Because I've got, I had a video Saturday night's main event, and the main event was because it was, I, I said this when me and Dave did our No Olds Bard review, was it was. Big Boss Man against Hulk Hogan in a steel cage, but Zeus comes down to the ring, you know, Tiny Lister, Tony Tiny mm-hmm. Lister, and, and Boss Man's there, and he's like, he's, he's he's bigger than what he was, because originally he was going to be a jobber, wasn't he, uh, the Boss Man? Yeah. But because he was so good, they were like, hang on, we need to we need to elevate him. He's not. He's too good to be just some, like someone who jobs for like the main wrestlers and stuff. Yeah, he's, I, I, love, I was a big... I was a big, big boss man fan. I used to love it. I mean, I remember, yeah, did he? Did, was it The Undertaker? He hung in in a, in a cage match as well at one point. Yeah, he did. <laughs> what about, no, what about, I mean, what I was getting to, sorry, was someone's like 91 was the Mountie V, the big boss man. And at the end of it, the big boss man takes the Mountie down, but the Mountie ends up in jail and you get like three or four blokes <laughs> around him as if to say, oh, hello, big boy. You know, like one of them. <laughs> like, what the yeah. fuck? And, the big boss when I watched actually Scott around this time because this was just before the big show came into it, like the giant from WCW, was when he mm. went to the big show's dad's funeral. And the big show's got leather pants on. Have you ever seen that at the graveside? I think I have. It rings a bell. He's driving the blues yeah. mobile. He's driving the blues brother's car, the big boss man, and he's there, and then the, the, they're at his dad's grave with with a hearse and the next minute the big boss man <laughs> chains up the, the, the like the, the the actual coffin and drives off and the, and he falls off in the in the graveyard the big shot oh, it's utterly fucking nonsense but i love every minute of it <laughs> that's what i loved it i mean it's the fact that like as a kid like you you know there was always a part of me that knew that it wasn't you know 100% legit because there was this thing where they were trying to if you use the boss man as an example I mean, you just said that like he was in his police car because he was a, he was supposed to be a, a prison guard wasn't he that was his gimmick yeah. And you're sort of like, well, why is a prison guard wrestling? Like, surely he should just be, like, guarding prisoners. That's his job. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was always bizarre to me. Um, and then, yeah, so it was, it was, I used to love all that gimmick stuff. But um, that, that was, and I sort of, like, felt, I actually dropped off for a while. Uh, didn't really get into it. But it was the Attitude Era that really, like, kicked me off again. It's probably about 96. Um Again, I was still on Sky, I think it was, and a mate of mine had it, and uh, I just remember catching a couple of episodes of Raw and being like, "What is this? This is crazy!" Now, this is like you know, this is totally different to what I remember from when I was a you know when I was a few years ago when I was younger, um, and just getting to you know you get to see the sort of the, the early iteration of the Attitude Era, ninety five ninety six, sort of like you know Stone Cold, The Rock, um, you know the, the formation of DX and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was, I was so into it from that point on. Really, for the next sort of like ten years, that was it. Like you say, it was it was just big time. Yeah, and um, and, and, le- and leading up to this one, Scott, I think for me, it was quite a in my life. It was quite an important time because I'd watched all this. Like you say, we had the, the birth in '96 of Stone Cold when he beat Jake the Snake mm. at King of the Ring and stuff, and he did the famous John three sixteen quote and all that it was amazing. And what. <laughs> What I remember about this was, I remember watching the year before, obviously in the Survivor Series, the Montreal Screwjob. Mm. And, I, and obviously, Bret Hart had gone to WCW. Shawn Michaels, you know, at the time was adamant he had nothing to do with it. Obviously, it's late come out that he did know all about it. And I think pretty much everyone was in on that. However, what I find interesting about this was, I got with my missus, like Sam, I got with her May two, uh, 1998. And I think this was one of the last events I watched properly for about 
maybe a year, as in live, as in sort of the next day. And I, I didn't have to catch up because it was March 29th, 98. And I, I got with it in May. And I remember being so convinced this was real. Even, honestly, the one thing that gets me more than anything, Scott, is when Stone Cold was in the ring with Mike Tyson and he pushed him. And I remember thinking, there's no way, I don't care who Tyson is, Stone Cold would kick his ass. But when you listen to Austin <laughs> now, and I know that I've yeah. done boxing and MMA that, you're yeah. like, no, Chris, it's a fucking work. Tyson would rip his throat out, you know, but you don't, you just don't correlate that, do you? It's funny because when you watch it back now, and um, it's clear like Tyson is having a ball doing all this stuff, like he's really enjoying it. Um, but knowing how sort of like temperamental he can be, there would have always been, a, especially a stone, you know, it's like Steve Austin, there would have always been a moment in my head like, I, he could just lamp me and then I've got to do something about it. Like if he lost it or he got carried away, you know what I mean? So that was what was I always kind of liked watching, especially watching it back. So I went back and watched a couple of the clips and some of the roars and stuff. I'm, I watched on YouTube actually just to see the bits, but you always see that you know they play it so well. And I mean, you know, people like Stone Cold and, and Shawn Michaels and stuff are so good at what they do. Um, but there's always for me this feeling of like, yeah, Tyson could just sort of like could really screw all this up <laughs> with like one thing, uh, and they let him go quite far. So it's. It, it, it shows sort of they were trying to do something different and it is it pays off. It really does. Yeah, it does. Because because also as well, after what happened at Survivor Series this uh, in ninety seven, so this only Survivor Series ninety seven, obviously it was November. You're talking four months later, he just literally mm. calmed down from the Montreal screw job. And then you got this thing with Tyson, and this was all around the same birth of I everybody said that I didn't even realise to be honest for a long time that Vince McMahon actually owned the company. I just thought he was just a commentator. All the videos he had, he was always one of the co-commentators with Jesse the Body or whatever. And it created Mr. McMahon, didn't it? The this mm. is where because he's in the ring then with Tyson and that he wouldn't have been in the ring. He wouldn't have been in the ring or anything. He'd just have been a commentator, wouldn't he? Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's I love it. I love when you watch it back and you have him there next with like, you know, with the like Jerry Lawler or sort of um even when he's even younger, when he's ever sort of mean gene and stuff, um, you see him as a commentator. But I love the. I mean, this is what it goes on to the sort of the feud, doesn't it? The sort of like the feud, uh, St- Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon, and a uh, big Stone Cold fan. Love, love Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think he's awesome. But he would be nothing if Vince McMahon wasn't such a sort of a pantomime villain. Yes, like he's such a, like a moustache twirling baddie and he is brilliant at it. I love him for being able to do the stuff he does. Um, everything from the sort of like the over-exaggerated swagger to the ring to some of his ridiculous reactions and stuff like overreactions. Um, yeah. Vin- Vince is, is so good. Uh, he, he's sort of, I think he gets under, undervalued as an actual performer at times. Um, no, he's brilliant. But yeah. But th- this whole era is, is so is so much fun. This is where it's like it just it starts going off like just off like. Th- I mean, to be fair, this mania, we'll go, I'll go through a list of the matches in a minute. is a little bit of a mixed bag because I sort of felt like you do get that sort of taste of the older stuff. So there's still that little bit, you know, and then you get this sort of like the true sort of um, attitude era coming through. Um, and obviously, the big thing as well is this mania is Stone Cold Steve Austin's first WWF Championship win. Yes. Um, Yes. So it's sort of like, you know, so it's kicking off that sort of like, it's really, this is Stone Cold, it's sort of like the peak of his power, really. Yeah, you're right. And and I think 
as well, one of the things, I know we'll get into this, but it was the whole thing with Shawn Michaels because there was loads of mm. stuff going Because I remember I was trying to find, before we, we started recording, I was trying to find the magazine name, but I like when he used to buy the WWF magazines, because it was still WWF at this point, um, it was always when they would you get the magazines, and I used to buy them. I used to never used to buy them every month or every couple of weeks, but I, I would buy them say every six months. I'd get one, and even then, as a kid, I'd be like, "It's just carrying on the storyline." So, like, I remember I was absolutely devastated when the Undertaker put Ultimate Warrior in the coffin in, in like the, the Paul Bearer's uh, segment. He used to have like the Piper's mm. Pit, and Ultimate Warrior was like, "Not he, he didn't have air for half an hour," and I was like, "Oh my god, he's never going to be the same." And he fought against. Uh, the Undertaker, every time he fought The Undertaker, The Undertaker just destroyed him. Every time Warrior got him on the floor, Undertaker just kept getting up and getting up. And I think Hogan was the first one to pin him. But I remember getting the magazine when like, this happened and it just carried on the storyline, you know, like, and, and, and I remember at first, this is great. And then like a year or so later thinking, that's pretty shit, really. It's just so I ended up buying, I think it was called Power Slam or something like that magazine. And it came out every two weeks, but it had all like, the insider stuff, the real stuff. So, like, I go on the Raja stuff and read about the politics and all the other stuff because you wouldn't think mm. there would be politics, but there is a lot of politics. In oh, no, you know that. You know that. A lot of it, yeah. A lot of egos. A lot of oh. egos going on. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And and in, hey, Scott, I don't mind me saying, but you've actually done wrestling as well, haven't you? So you know, you've got yes. more experience yeah. than me. So, so yeah, it's... even even at the lowest level, there's like there is egos involved. Everyone thinks they're the next sort of like people's champion. It's yeah, it's bizarre. It's amazing that you've done it because I was going to. I've actually looked into training uh, in the nineties, late nineties as well, doing it. I really, really wanted to do it. Uh, even to this day, I still think I've got my John Cena spinny belt to the left of me. I still think it's going to be a call, you know, at WrestleMania. You never know. <laughs> but no, genuinely, I remember buying it and getting the insider stuff about all. And I remember reading on this specifically about. Uh, Shawn Michaels and the, the backlash of the Montreal screw job and what was happening to him in the background and his alliance with like uh, what had happened with since the curtain call, which was obviously Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, mm. um, Ray, um, Ray, uh, what one, two, three kid, what it, uh, what's he called? Um, oh, he became X Pac, yeah, X Pac, yeah, yeah. Um, and that they'd done that curtain call, so Hunter got bollocks, Shawn couldn't because he was the mm. champion and all this stuff. And I remember like reading it and reading about what an absolute arse Shawn Michaels was all the way leading up to this. From the Montreal screw job, they just created a monster, unfortunately. When you talk about egos, that you know, I mean the guy I think Shawn Michaels seems to have like if you go over his careers, it definitely had some ups and downs, like a proper roller coaster, isn't it? Because he dealt with a lot and then he became, you know, he'd become a bit of a born again Christian and he calmed down and all this other stuff. But during this point in the nineties, um, he was, yeah. You know, he he was sort of like the heartbreak kid. He thought he was on top of the world, untouchable. I mean, he did Playboy and he did all kinds of stuff, didn't he? And um, yeah. he was one of like Vince's. A, a, this is the the top flight. You know, there was the you had if you think about it at this point, like you you didn't have, um, you know, the Rock was still only coming up. Steve Austin was just coming up. Triple H was you know he's sort of still he's working with Michaels, but they're still he's still under him. If you know what I mean. That top flight at this point is still quite, you know, this transition period is quite small, really, isn't it? 
Um, yeah, yeah, and that, and again, Scott, as I said earlier, that was also to do with the fact with the steroid scandal because mm. Vince McMahon loved six foot six, you know, monster, muscly, absolute behemoths, and he was trying to prove a point that he could basically because all the all them people like Hogan and that had gone to WCW by this time. Kevin Nash did mm. justice, obviously Sid Vicious in in WCW. Um, th- these big monsters gone. The Ultimate Warrior was always in dispute. He left in like ninety. 90- Two and he never come back till '96, and again he was only in there, he was only in there a few months. He was just too erratic, and and that's why they put the belts on Bret Hart and then Shawn Michaels because they mm. they were basically they were mid card, they were tag team uh, wrestlers really because that's what they were. That's what I was remembering mm. the Rockers and the Hart Foundation all the time. No, you're right. I mean, that, it's weird, isn't it? Because uh, I like because you're right. Actually, a really good point. That I've never thought about that, that, that. I mean, Bret Hart is a really good. And always has been like a really good technical worker. Like you know, his his matches are all always immaculate. They always look really good. But I never found him to be entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Yes, he was never my boy, sort of thing. I was never sort of like I was never hyped by Bret Hart. I mean, I go back and watch his matches now, and I'm like, yeah, they're really good, but they don't get your heart pumping. Um, and so, we, but he was always better as part of that, the Hart Foundation. You know, sort of like him and Owen and and, and uh, Jim Neinhart. That was a great foundation, um, but Shawn Michaels is a different, is an oddly different sort of thing because him and like Marty Jannetty when they were sort of um, um, the Rockers and stuff, like they're they're good and I enjoyed watching them. But like when you look at it now, you can sort of see even then that Michaels had something special where Marty Jannetty didn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, you're right. It's <laughs> it's like when you get. You'd go on a football. I remember as a kid going on like football trials. One of my mates who was amazing, and I went with him, and it was all like, "Oh, he's brought his mate, has he?" You know, because <laughs> I agree. Because I, I was devastated. I must admit, and I bought into it completely around about ninety-two when we had the barbershop thing with Shawn Michaels when he mm. turned heel. Because leading up to it, done the classic thing where like Shawn Michaels levels. Marty Jannetty or Marty Jannetty levels Michaels in one of the matches, whereas before they'd always been like best buddies and everything, and. Uh, and then Shawn Michaels started wearing different outfits, didn't he? like he wore a leather jacket, he wore like the yeah. he was a bit un- unshaven and all that stuff. And then when he kicked him, I remember buying into that Scott completely. And he got sensational sherry. He sung his own theme tune at that point. And he went and he used to wear them fucking white pants, which he still wears in this, obviously, in this WrestleMania mm. as well, with the with the red things in the middle and that. He just completely changed, but it, it it was believable, and I never once from that point when he was he'd gone from like the European to the Intercontinental Champion, and then to the heavyweight. I never sort of think he didn't deserve it. He always seemed to carry, it. even when he fought against like Diesel or Sid Justice or even Vader, who were monsters, you know. And, and he always held his own. Yeah, uh, Michaels is one of the Sean Michaels is one of those is one of the consummate workers um, of that generation. Um, I mean, there's a reason they well, they call him like Mr. WrestleMania. Like, you know, he there are matches he's done that um, you know I, I can I can refer to that I just think I, I, there's two matches in my head I always think of with Shawn Michaels. There was um, it's WrestleMania 19, hit, uh, Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho. Yep, uh, which is outstanding that match. I mean, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, and play the angle on it's fantastic as well. Like they play it like you know Jericho looking up to to replace. Uh, Michaels, uh, and then um, I'm not sure it was 20 or 21, but they had uh, Shawn Michaels versus uh, Kurt Angle. Um, oh yeah, 
and they were on two separate shows. So I think I think uh, uh, Angle was on SmackDown and, and uh, Michaels was on Raw, but they kept sort of like doing stuff to wind each other up and stuff. And the but the match uh, that it results in is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, and he, he's just one of those workers that like he never seems to disappoint. Like he always seems to bring his A game, always does his best, always puts himself through hell. And um, I, I always sort of look for, I always used to look forward to seeing Michael. So. Uh, yeah, he's just one of the, you know he is he, he has been a bit of a dick in his time, like you know it's 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 quite well documented, um, and I think he 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 will admit it now. Have you ever read his biography? Um, no, I haven't actually. No, it's worth reading. I mean, it's it it has that sort of veneer of what WWE will let him say, but there's enough in there for you to sort of like you know to be able to look behind even that and read between the lines and go. Yeah, for a certain amount of time, you were an obnoxious prick, and I'm not surprised that people didn't like you. Yeah, um, it, it, it's 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 funny because I've watched loads on him as well, Scott. About because at this time he had a drug problem, and he was an absolute mm. obnoxious arse, as as you've just said, because he did the job for Vince with the Montreal Screw Job. Vince promised in the world he was injured, he had a bad knee. He had a bad back from Royal Rumble 98 when he fell on the casket with The Undertaker. Obviously, that's mm. when Kane comes out and he broke a bone in his back. So you can see in this match, he's in, he's in agony. But obviously, he had dependency problems with drugs. So he, he, he retired and he did a bit like Kurt Henning and, and Rick Rude did where they retired to get like the pay. And I was devastated about this. But when you watch this now... There's a point in the match halfway through where he just goes, his back is gone completely. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's selling. I honestly don't think he's selling that. I think is it. There's a. We'll get on to it. We'll get the full match. But there's a moment where he gets sort of whipped into the corner and he flips, doesn't he? He sort of flips yes. and goes up the turnbuckle and he hits that so hard it made me wince. And I thought the same. I was like, "Oh, you have just made it. That's a mistake." And you do. You sort of see him, and I'm like, "Yeah, like you say, he's not selling that. That's a legit like give it five minutes, um, you know, sort of thing." Um, but yeah, it's it's like this is, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, we're saying this like with Shawn Michaels. Like, these guys were heading this, um, and because he, 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 it was a, a. When did he retire? Because I mean, DX continues for quite a while after this, but they sort of um, they reduced his wrestling schedule, didn't they? Sort of, he was more. Um, um, no, he retired after this. So what happened after this? What? Yeah, I never forget this because. He goes in this match, obviously, I know we're going to get into it, but he drops the strap to, to Stone Cold. And the next mm. night is when Triple H, and never forget it, Triple H comes out with China and then uh, the New Age Outlaws joined DX. That was the first time. And the next night, what happened was, because yeah, I, I, I was reading loads of stuff on this, I, said, I remember it really well from like all the stuff like as a kid and everything. but Or as a teenager, I suppose, an adult. Uh, it was... They Triple H bury Shawn Michaels saying, oh, he's gone home mm. and all oh, this is the new DX and that. They absolutely, if you get a chance, try and watch the Raw the next night. Mm, they I will bury do. him. They, I mean, Shawn Michaels was happy because Hunter was his mate and stuff, but it, mm. they bury him and, and just basically that's where the DX that we know with Triple H is formed and the New Age Outlaws because they, they were never DX. It was always Triple H, China and Shawn Michaels, wasn't it, originally? Mm. Yeah, because that's when it starts to expand, doesn't it, for a little for a short time? Because during during the the Monday Night Wars, um, you know, I mean, you know, when they take the tank to um, um, WCW, um, yeah, uh, that sort of that's uh, New Age Outlaws and uh, and Triple H and stuff, isn't it? And it, it's as you sort of say about people sort of you know leaving and and going out of the way. I mean, if Shawn Michaels hadn't retired for this for that time, because obviously came, he obviously came came back later. 
Um, Triple H may not have been able to step up. So, you know, you may not have got the, the Triple H career that you had. No, um, you're right, Scott, as well. And, and sorry to cut across you. I'm, I'm proper yeah, enthusiastic. I'm really sorry. <laughs> if anyone who's listening as well, I, I, I don't mean to. I'm just. Um, there's actually an article I read this week about what if Shawn Michaels had, because he retired from 98 to 2002. He did keep popping mm. up in 99. I think he came back as a commissioner and then he ended up being like the owner of the WWE and all this stuff. And I've been watching some of the stuff over the last day or so as well, just to refresh your memory. And he sort of goes back with DX, but he doesn't come back till 2002. Now, I, and you said about matches, I, I love, I think my favourite Shawn Michaels match ever is the unsanctioned fight with Triple H at, at SummerSlam 2002, mm. which was his, his official return match because he had Kevin Nash in, in his corner, like saying, like, you can't, you're back, you, you know, you're going to hurt your back. And I remember him wearing jeans in these I was gonna say his cowboy, cowboy boots. boots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that match is amazing. And he beats Triple H, but then Triple H hits him with the sledgehammer at the end and, and he takes him out of the game then for a bit. But I, lo- I think that's, for me, that's my favourite Shawn Michaels match ever. That is, uh, yeah, that is a good match, and that's the thing. Like, you know, the, the the work and stuff in this is really good. Um, but weirdly, I actually think sort of like you know, everyone talks about the Attitude Era, um, and I think sort of I enjoy the late nineties, and I really do. I love the Attitude Era, but partly, I for some reason I think sort of that a period from about like two thousand to about two thousand and three, that three years as well is really solid. Like, there's some really good stuff in that era. Oh um, yeah. And we'll have to cover a couple of that. I mean, you know, we sort of, as we were sort of messaging each other about this, actually, we sort of went off and watched some, a couple of other pay-per-views. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, the one I went straight to was um, King of the Ring, um, was it 2001? Which Kurt Angle versus uh, Shane McMahon. Um, oh, the Titantron, where he fought. Oh, oh. that one, yeah. But it's, it's, it's the, I mean, the matches, I mean, this is this way you sort of, you learn what like an absolute machine Kurt Angle is, because he does like three matches and he's, a, he's brilliant in all of them. Um, but when he fights the street fight with Shane McMahon, and they're fighting up the ramp, they go up the ramp, and they say to the Titan Tron and to the sort of the entrance, and it's glass. Like the King of the Ring uh, thing is glass, and he just starts putting them. Th- he starts putting him through it, and um, Kurt Angle starts trying to sort of German suplex Shane McMahon through this plate glass window, and it won't break. Yes. So he then just grabs Shane McMahon and just puts his head clean through it, and you're just like. <laughs> This is mental. <laughs> yeah, I never forget that because Shane ends up on a heap. He like hits it. Obviously, yeah. it yeah. should have it should have smashed its sugar glass in. It's supposed to smash, mm. and it doesn't. And it's funny you say that because I went and watched. I put online uh, the top five Royal Rumbles because I always say Royal Rumble's my favourite match. Just the Royal Rumble itself. The, the matches are nonsensical to me. It's always the main match for me. And I watched mm. Royal Rumble 2001 because 99, Austin gets screwed because Vince McMahon is against him from one and two. And Vince McMahon basically hides and ends up being a commentator and then comes in at the end and, and throws him over the top because Triple H or someone comes down or whatever it is and he ends up... Yeah. But 2001, Austin interferes in Triple H's match with Angle costs Triple H the title because Angle's the champion. And then Triple H comes down to uh, Austin, but Austin actually wins it. I think it's his, his, he wins three. I think that's his third. I mean, he's only once ever win it three times. But I watched it again and I'm like, it's fucking amazing. It, it yeah. really is good. You can so get into it. I mean, in my head, like you say, I've got a couple of matches I'm going to go and, and search out to re-watch. Um, on the WD because the WWE Network is got, has got everything on it. Mean, I was so, like, you know, I've got that, you know, I've, uh, subscribe to it and sort of getting it and 
there's so many okay that's on raw this one i've gone in and googled it and there's a match we'll get into we'll get into wrestlemania 14 in a minute but <laughs> there's a match um uh from raw uh from around 2001 2002 and it's undertaker versus jeff hardy in a ladder match it's when takers doing the whole um badass Badass, the American badass, and it's a ladder match, and it's one where like Jeff Hardy won't quit, like he keeps getting up, and like at the end of the match, like he sort of he thinks he's left Jeff Hardy sort of like battered, and he gets up and he's like, I'm not done, and you sort of see Taker sort of go like, oh, all right, and he walks back and just pummels him some more, and um and then eventually sort of like you know holds up, they, they sort of stand, he's Undertaker's respect sort of thing. And like you say, it's 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 silly and ridiculous. But I remember watching that the first time and being so sort of like invested in it, like so invested in it, it was crazy. Um, and it's yeah, this whole era is is fantastic. Uh, well, um, one sorry, Scott. One thing I want you to watch mm. though, please watch this, Scott. Is they've got the WCW Saturday Night events on there now so there's a whole run of it it's on the main page of the network right one of the random ones i picked out i'll have to find out which one i watched it's got like they have a weird camera angle anyway so sting's still got his blonde hair and all that and Mm. you know you've got like uh, vader there and all that and rick flair's the champ these these twins come out right and they've got i am not exaggerating bleach blonde ivan drago flat top but like proper blonde ponytails down to the back but the twins and they wear one wears a blue cap one wears a red cap and I think Bobby Heenan goes how the hell am I supposed to tell who these two are and uh, honestly they're absolutely the shittiest wrestlers ever but they're like they're going to be like the next rockers or something it's terrible Scott honestly oh it's awful I'll check them out WCW all of them I mean we're bigging up some of the best moments but let's not let's not lie there's some there is some terrible moments in all of this (laughs) yes you know like you say for, for every um for every Zamboni being driven to the ring or every beer truck being driven to the ring, there's a, uh, you know, there's Mark Henry marrying uh, the marvellous, was it Marvellous Moolah? And her uh, giving birth. Uh, May Young. May Young and her giving birth to a hand. Like, like what? <laughs> <laughs> Sexual chocolate. I never forget so, yeah. it. <laughs> I never. <Yeah>. Bizarre. <laughs> well, we, at the time, we were, it was me. I was with my missus then, so it's about 99. So it's me, Sam. Sam's brother was like one of my best mates. I'm another mate of mine. And we may have liked a bit of the old, you know, uh, Jamaican Holbein, shall we say. So mm. we, used to, we used to have a bit of that on a Friday night, get a takeaway. We'd watch the wrestling, have a few drinks and that. And it used to be on, because Raw was on on a Monday, but we never got it in the UK till a Friday night, 10 till 12 it used to be on, or 9 till 12. I think it was 10 till 12 it was on a Sky. And we used to come around, they used to come around on a Friday, so we'd watch Raw and Raw. Sam hated it. She, she only liked watching <laughs> The Rock because she, she liked, uh, fancied a bit of the rock, but she hated it. And I never ever um forget sitting there and I'm looking at me going, She's just given birth to a fucking hand. What the <laughs> fuck is going on? And I'm like, you can't even put it down to the fact you were taking proper hardcore drugs. We were just having no. a, a smoke, but it was like, what the fuck is this? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Yeah, there were some amazing moments and uh yeah, some not so amazing moments. <laughs> But yeah, right. So let's get into the main event. Let's get to the, the the sort of the meat of this. So WrestleMania 14, it's it's eight matches long, and um, I I enjoyed most of them, um, but I will admit, like this event takes a little while to get going. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on on the event on the the overall sort of like the line the lineup? We'll go through the matches in a minute, but the overall lineup. What's your thought? What were your thoughts on it watching it? 
I think one thing around this time that was always sort of prevalent with the WWF and WWE was they were quite thin on mid-card wrestlers. They certainly mm. weren't thin on tag team wrestlers because they had 10 <laughs> fucking tag teams at the first match. But yeah. um, it was very thin on mid-card. So some of the matches, uh, especially there's, we'll get into what they are, there's Taken Mishinoki one and stuff. They're just, they're just like, you know, WWF superstars stroke. They're just mm. house house matches that nobody cares about um however i think it gets going i think you know once you start going from say mick foley's match it does hit each stride the first two or three matches were pretty mundane however i do think the whole presentation of it does show up how over the top they've gone now with the wrestlemania mm. this, this whole outdoor stadium i think at this point in time, because they were fighting against WCW and week on week they were losing viewers. They were getting hammered in the ratings, but this is where it started to turn for Vince McMahon and that's where the, the whole razzmatazz started to come back into it. Like they used to have the 80s from WrestleMania 3 and the big outdoor stuff. They, they couldn't get the audiences from the early downs. Hogan left, they lost loads and then it, it swung the Monday Night Rolls. But around about 98 is when w, I think WWF beat uh, WCW for the first time, I think it was 98 uh, ever in the Monday Night Wars. And from there, WWF was always in charge. That was literally when Austin was born around this time. Yeah, that's it. I think that's it. It's like, it, it you, you, you do start to see that there's, there's a couple of things in this in this event that you do go, oh, okay, that's sort of like, you know, the, the birth of that. Um, but you're right. I mean, like you say, it gets going. Like we'll say, we'll go through them. There's, there's, I'll just list them out to sort of show sort of like some of the names and stuff that's going on. So, as you say, there's a tag team battle royale with ten sort of tag teams in it. Um, that's uh, the main feature of it appears to be well, it is uh, Legion of Doom 2000. Um, the second match is Taka uh, Michinuku versus uh, Aguila. Aguila, I, I can't pronounce it. Aguila. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is the light heavyweight championship, and that's an interesting one. We'll talk about that in a minute because that's quite an interesting match. As in, like you say, it seems just out of nowhere that match. Um, then you get Triple H versus Owen Hart for the European Championship. Uh, then you get a, 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 in, um, a mixed tag team with Mark Mero and Sable versus Goldust and Luna. Um, that's got some interesting, <laughs> there's some interesting stuff going on there. Um, and then the fifth match is The Rock versus Ken, Sh- Ken Shamrock, which I, and I loved this match. I was Ken Shamrock was blowing me away in this match. Um, and then that's followed by Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie versus the New Age Outlaws uh, for the Tag Team Championships in a dumpster match. Which again, ch- just you know, Chainsaw Charlie is actually as you've you've got him as your uh, uh, your login for this evening. Chainsaw <laughs> Charlie uh, is Terry Funk. Yep. And one of my favourite moments of this mania is um, he comes out. The announcer announces him as Chainsaw Charlie. He's got Funk U on his shirt, and then uh, and then Jim Ross just continues to refer to him as Terry Funk. Terry Funk the yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> so I was loving that because I love Terry Funk. Um, and then then after that, the seventh match is Undertaker versus Kane, brother versus brother. Um, and then the final is the main event, which is the, for the WWE, uh, WWF Championship. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels with the enforcer uh, outside ring is Mike Tyson. So it's quite a good lineup uh, in in some respects. Um, but going back to the beginning, that tag team battle royale. Um, 
you know what you said about house shows? It's it's a warm up match, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. And and they the, the fact that Legion of Doom have got Sonny, they've they've growing the hair out. And I know mm. around this time Hawk was having a lot of personal issues. He passed away in two thousand and three, didn't he? But yeah. I mean, they, they even play on his alcoholism um, a couple of years late, which is truly awful when he's climbing the Titan Tron and that. And they play on the sort of real life problems he's having because Droz who joins the Legion of Doom about a year later, about 99. And obviously, Droz is, unfortunately, is the guy who ends up, he's a paraplegic now, isn't he? Because of D'Lo yeah, Brown. That, yeah. yeah, accidentally uh, dropped him on his head. So um, I find it weird, but I think because they're the only ones who come in the ring with music and a full entrance, it's pretty obvious who's going to win this match, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> but why they've got Sonny there, Scott, I do not know. Because she was always a baddie. She started yeah. with Skip, didn't she, who she was married to, Chris Candido. Um, originally, it's like a fitness thing and that. And then she was always like a baddie heel valet. But for some reason, she just ended up with Legion of Doom. They obviously had fuck all else to do for her. Well, it, it, that's what it feels like, though, doesn't it? Like this opening match, like it actually opens with um, the, the very first thing you see of the event is the ring's already got a bunch of people in. So you're sort of like, well, none of them are going to win. Um so to even it out and to make sure you've got at least some tension or at least some sort of thing, they bring down, uh, is it Farouk and... Oh, the Nation uh, of Domination, yeah. Yeah the, yeah, the Nation come down. And they, so, you know, they've got those guys coming in. And um, you think, oh, okay, so maybe it's them. And then the Legion of Doom come out in their full outfits with the helmets and the pads and they've got full-on music. And there's like everyone's like, oh, my God. Jerry Lawler's going, oh, my God. And you've got Jim Ross giving it all that. And you're thinking, oh, this is obvious. <laughs> Like what? Why else um, would you be going through all this? All this, um, and then the, and then the match is just really messy. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's funny because I remember as a kid always thinking oh, I'd, I'd rather watch a battle royale than a Royal Rumble. But when you see it and you've got twenty people in a ring, all mm. faking it, all getting in each other's way, all trying to make it look like it's real. It's pretty shit. And I know that's why I think the Royal Rumble always works better when you've got five or six in the ring because they all get the spots and that. But when you're watching a Battle Royale, it's just carnage. Until somebody starts cleaning house, it just looks yeah. like a complete mess. Well, there's a moment in this which I, I, I thought was really funny. There's a, what's, it, what's his name? Summit Blackman. Steve uh, Blackman. Was, Steve you... Blackman. Yeah. That's it. And there's, there's two guys in sort of like bright blue um, tights trying to get him out of the ring and stuff. And you, and, and you sort of like, you can sort of see that they're like, well, look, we can't push him too far because he might actually go out and he's obviously not to go out yet. So and it, it just looks like bad acting where they are like, oh, we'll push him a bit harder. Oh, and then someone comes over and sort of like, you know, lays a forearm on him and lays another forearm and then they stumble away. You know? But because the ring's so full, like you can't do much. Um, and so, yeah, it just it just feels like the really like weird thing to start the the show with this sort of like clusterfuck, <laughs> this absolute clusterfuck that sort of ends with, um, you know, with, with Legion of Doom winning. Well, well uh, you know me, Scott, you've been on plenty of our podcasts. We've been on, I've been on yours, you've been mm. on mine, everything. And you know, I don't make notes. Dave makes the notes. Dave is the preparation guy, obviously, my podcasting uh, brother. But genuinely, I don't. I made fucking notes for this. I thought I've got to make them. So, <laughs> a couple of things are picked out here. So, originally, you've got Billy Gunn, who's now with the Road Dog. He's part of the New Age Outlaws. Mm. But originally, he was part of the Smoking Guns with Bart Bart Gunn. Well, yeah. in this, you've got fucking 
hardcore Bob Holly, who's still going by the name of Sparkplug, but he's also called Bar Bodacious, <laughs> Bodacious Bob. And then we've got Bodacious Bart as well. Bart Gully's now Bodacious. <laughs> he's just look, like, as you were saying, they still, the fact that this towards the end of the card, I know we've got The Undertaker in Kane, which is truly unbelievable, but it's all done so well that you, you buy into mm. him that it's his brother. I bought into it even as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old guy that <laughs> they were still brothers. Um, but all the old stuff is still there. So you've got like yeah. that them guys with the bald heads, the two biker guys, chains and, and skull. Yeah. And then you've got like the Godwins in there and all that stuff. And the Midnight Express, the old blocks. But I tell you what made me laugh, and I'm pissing myself, is... Brian Christopher's in there, Jerry Lawler's son, obviously. He was, you know, mm. he, he was with Fingy originally uh, later on. Money. He was with Scotty Too Hotty and um, Rikishi. Um, yeah. You know, too cool. But, but he's about that. He don't give a shit. He's going, Brian Christopher's the best wrestler in there. He's going to win it. And every time there's a quip, it's about how good Brian Christopher is. So when Brian Christopher yeah. gets thrown <laughs> over the top, he went, "You should have picked a better partner." And all this, he's like proper. <laughs> Like, and he even that even goes into the Takamishinoki match where he's slagging them both off, going, Brian Chris was the greatest light heavyweight in the company and all this. I just I found him heel lawler in this. He's brilliant for he's he's value for money, definitely. I yeah, I love Jerry Lawler in this. I think he's great. Especially and we'll get on to sort of like it's I mean I'm surprised he hasn't spent time in prison for something, you know, for sort of like some of the way he sort of like treats women is is yes. uh um, but when we get to like Sable and Luna, um, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. Puppy power, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's just it's just a bizarre start, like you say, because it's not well choreographed in in any particular way. Like the final pr last little bit is is fine, but it's not even like there's a big finish. Like they don't even use like a big tag team finish to 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 win. They just no. sort of like it, it ends with is it. I don't know which one it is. Um, just clotheslines a guy out the ring, and they're just like, oh, they've won. They're number one contenders. And you're like, all right. Yeah. Well the, done. <laughs> yeah. The, the build-up to this was supposed to be that they'd got on a hiatus because they'd lost the title at Royal Rumble because the, the New Age Outlaws had come and sort of done them over. Then they lost it again on Raw to someone else, and then they went missing. So this was like their big return. The Legion of Doom, but I agree. They, they didn't even do the finisher where, like, obviously, Animal picks him up on the shoulders and he just looks yeah. by the clothesline of the top rope. We got none of that, and obviously, you can't knock him over the top rope. But I agree, it was a very, very flat match. And I think at this point, to be fair, with the Legion of Doom, I loved them early 90s and I absolutely loved them. So, you know, SummerSlam Night One, WrestleMania 7, because they'd come mm. in from being um, the Road Warriors and stuff in WCW and NWA and stuff. But they're losing a lot of the mystique at, at this point, and they just were just like good workers. They weren't like they're a bit like the Steiners. The Steiners were always good to watch, but I was never like completely yeah. in on them. I always liked LOD better, but I think I uh, probably about 98, I probably liked the music better than I did watching them perform, to be honest. <laughs> the thing was, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I used to like them, like I say, when they were back in the day when they come in with like the shoulder pad with the big spikes on and all that kind of stuff. Like you said, they, they had like a real, uh, aura about them that you know you'd see them and go oh my god these guys are like huge they're really intimidating and they were great workers a fantastic tag team really sort of um on point as one of the best tag teams uh, of probably of all time really um but like yeah by this time it just i don't know it, it's that thing of the something the wwf seemed to do was to over egg certain things do you know what i mean yeah 
so they'd lay it out and so you just sort of you know well this seems to work so i'm just going to throw everything at it and so when they come out with those ridiculous hockey masks and everything else it's sort of like oh it's like you say they feel like an action figure variant of themselves yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, th- there was different variations because of problems with Hawk as well. The, like, mm. you had the obviously Droz, you had that guy, John, they had a big guy, they might have been after Hawk passed away, and Animal was still knocking around around about 2004 or 5. There was a big guy, John Heinrich or sort of Heinenbach or whatever he was called. Oh, the big God, guy. Remember, yes. remember him? He, he yeah. was with him, for, he was in Legion of Doom for a while, and he actually went to Japan when they both got kicked from WWE. But yeah, I, I agree. And, and, it didn't really do much. I think the problem was is probably because people were sort of getting into the anti-hero stuff, the, the New Age Outlaws. I know they didn't join DX until the, ne- at the night after this event. It was mm. still on DX. But however, um, they had all that anti-hero stuff going on, didn't they, where they were sort of like going against, a bit like a Stone Cold and what Shawn Michaels yeah. was and that. So I think people were just getting to the point where the gimmicks were just starting to die and getting a bit... Fade out, weren't they? Yeah, they were fatiguing, to be honest. Mm. So you know you've just had you've just had a bunch of monsters in the ring, a huge bunch of like huge guys. So you know uh, it's been a bit flat. So you want to you want to elevate it, don't you? You want some exciting. You want some big names to come out. You want Taka Michinuku and Aguila. Mm. What was this? I was I was a bit surprised actually in two ways because I'd forgotten that they actually sort of. This, I mean, this feels a little bit like trying to compete with ECW in that and you know and um, a little bit of WCW that. Oh, we've got light heavyweights as well. Um, but this match clearly told me they did not know what to do with them. No, they didn't. I mean, I know after this we did get uh, did get a renaissance, especially with the hardcore title and stuff, because mm-hmm. a lot of the mid mid sort of cruiserweight wrestlers got a good run, didn't they? Good exposure. Hardcore Holly, Brian Christopher. Um, there was the other Asian guy as well who actually teamed up with Takanishinoki as a tag team. His bloody name, and and they were um, really good together as a tag team. However. It was one of the worst. It was only on for six minutes. I checked the time on the mm. six minutes this was on. It was one of the worst filler matches I've seen. There were some good high spots and that, but I just kept, I'll be honest, Scott, I kept looking at my phone. I was like checking Facebook and Twitter thinking, this is pretty shit, really. You know, I, I didn't rate any of what was going on, to be honest. This match, to me, having done, like, say, shows and stuff, felt to me like. Um, a couple of bump monkeys that were just sort of taking it in turns to do high spots. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, they do. I, mean, I won't deny their athleticism and everything they do. Like, some of their over-the-rope, top-rope stuff onto the outside is, is great. You know, they really do. But they literally take it in turns. You know, sort of, I'm coming off the top ropes with a splash, and then I'll come back with a corkscrew and so this stuff. You're like, oh, that's fantastic. But it never feels um, authentic, you know, because they just pop back up again. This, you know... Aguila's under a mask and everything anyway, but Taka's selling in parts of this match is horrendous. It's awful. Yeah, it is. It is. I totally agree. It, it, I mean, this Aguila, I don't even remember him. I don't remember where he come from. I mean, one thing I would say at WCW, they always had a good cruiserweight division. So we had originally, mm. you had like Chris Benoit, you got Dean... Um, Oh, what's he called? Uh, Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, mm. Chris Jericho. You had all these people, and then you had a lot of them. Like uh, Justin Liga used to come over, didn't you? You got uh, the, all these different Asian sort of uh, wrestlers because you, at WCW they could go to Japan and, and wrestling Japan and stuff as well. Yeah, like they weren't stuck like WWE. So they had a strong thing, but but whenever they brought somebody in, some new sort of 
Asian wrestler who was hidden behind a, a, like, a Libra mask. It was always shit. It was always literally like, I want to really fast forward this match because mm. it was, I could never invest in it for some reason. No, I agree. It's really like, yeah, there's some great spots in it, but when uh, Taka wins at the end, I'm so indifferent that I was just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, you've just won the light heavyweight championship. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I can see why that belt sort of went away in WWF. It, it doesn't do anything. Um, it's an odd one. You know, it yeah. feels like, uh, considering who they, who they had around this time, like you say, they, were, they seemed a bit thin on the line, but you've literally just used up, like, 20 wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you could have pulled anything else out of that. It, it, it's, so, yeah, we're probably about 25, half an hour, well, no, well, yeah, between 20 and 25 minutes into the event. And I was thinking, oh, this may just be a main event. I'm not sure what else what else is going to come out of this. I was getting a little bit worried, to be honest. Yeah, I was. And then, obviously, the next match is Triple H v Owen Hart, isn't it? So, mm. so you've got two great workers. Owen Hart's always a great worker. However, I remember it well. The stipulation was China couldn't get involved. She's, she's stuck to... <laughs> she's changed the side of China. Yeah, yeah, she's a big... She was a monster then, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, but, but I remember watching this. And from a technical standpoint brilliant even watching it now it's a great spectacle as a match the triple mm. h is great he sells everything good and owen hart obviously has that proper ring savvy uh they were at two you know owen hart had a few years experience over triple h at this point however i do also think again scott it doesn't like the touch paper what i expect mm. out of wrestlemania to be honest no it's not a mania match I mean, I could imagine this being like a raw match, and even, but not a main event, but like a you know like a, a sort of a later in the evening sort of like um, Monday night raw match. It's good though, I and mean, it has its moments. Like you say, I'm more entertained by this match than um, what's come before. Um, I'm enjoying the fact that, like you say, China's doing her bit as the heel outside, trying to sort of uh, interfere and give assistance and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm, I'm enjoying some of that. Um, and again, like, you know, you said about it being sort of like that that sort of bridge between the old and the new. You know, and obviously sort of like Triple H and China are sort of being very much the, the new with DX and stuff. And Owen Hart being a little bit of both. But you've got Sergeant Slaughter um, <laughs> as, as Commissioner Slaughter coming out and being, being handcuffed to China. Um, and again, I love the fact, I don't know whether it's Lawler or, or Jim Ross, says about the fact that like um you know China she can bench press whatever but can she can she bench press Sergeant Slaughter and it's like I don't know but I'd actually quite like to see that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> why though would you why would he you say that in the commentary? Not for you to say you're right. No. Why? <laughs> it is just it's just funny. It just comes out with but this also this match ends um with such an old school gimmick that I love yeah. it. I was, I was well into it. The the idea that she gets the little bag of powder and she throws it in Sergeant Slaughter's eyes and then there's all the distraction and all this and stuff. It's it's so sort of like, you know, it's the kind of thing I'd expect from um, Bobby Heenan or someone like that. You know what I mean? Mr. Um, Fuji was renowned for that, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for those kind of old school gimmicks, though. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, the knuckle duster, Ric Flair knuckle yeah, dusters come yeah. out, stuff like that, yeah. Hidden I love in tights, that. hidden yeah. in tights, like no one can see it, amazing. 
I like the old. I always used to love the fucking Let's Luger one where it was like he's got a steel plate in his his forearm, and, he, and that was his finisher. Won it that yeah. shit forearm he did? It was just fucking nonsense, absolute nonsense. But I agree, old school always works, and I think something like that had to work because Sergeant Slaughter must have been probably early fifties at this point. He wasn't yeah, an active wrestler, be. was he? No, no, no. He was he was the commissioner, and that's it. They didn't have the commissioner role wasn't. Um, the same as it became later on. Like later on, it became like a performer, didn't it? Sort of role. Um, he was basically rolled out every now and then for spe- for specific things, and that was about it. Because um, this is the, <clears throat> the the thing I like about this is you you have this sort of like the WWF seems to have held on to this thing, and even when it became WWE, Sergeant Slaughter stuck around, and obviously in this commissioner role. But for some reason as well, every now and then they'll roll out like Arn Anderson or Pat Patterson as some sort of like enforcer or something. Yeah, man, like these dudes are in their sixties. Like, just leave them alone. Like, stop doing this to them. Um, (laughs) As if, as if they're going to have sort of like some impact against someone who's like, you know, like Triple H or something like that. Um, It just looks silly. But yeah, no, you're right though. This isn't a. um, We're three matches in, and so far nothing has caught fire, has it? Really? No, no. I'm interested in what you think of the next one, Scott. So I'll let you tee this one up. But I, I got a few things to say about this next match. This this match. Um, so the next one is a, is a mixed tag team that I had forgotten about everything about this. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about some of the, some of the people in, even involved in this match. Um, Mark Miro and Sable versus the artist formerly known as Goldust and Luna, um, <clears throat> and. I was like, oh, I've forgotten all about this whole thing because the the angle actually itself is really interesting. Um, like that, Mark Mero is um, what's his thing? He's sort of like a you know maybe some sort of like former boxer or whatever. His gimmick holding gloves. He was yeah, he was a that's it, yeah. yeah. And uh, I like the fact that it's all ego. You know, like he wants to be sort of the one recognized on other stuff. So when sort of Sable starts getting a bit of chant and the, the signs start appearing for Sable, like he starts getting jealous and he starts becoming sort of the uh, abusive boyfriend and stuff. It's actually interesting. Like you know, it's, it's you know, it's not done, um, you know, in uh, the best way that the <laughs> WWF have done things. Yeah, you know, they're never completely subtle, are they? But uh, at least they take an interesting angle. And then you're sort of throwing Goldust and Luna in this weird. This weird, weird sort of jealousy thing. Um, it's so like, because the, the good thing is, like, you get like obviously with all these things, you get a little bit of a pre match snippet of like, here's the angle and here's the story up until this point. And I love all those sort of edited little short stories. But with this one, I was left a little bit like lost. I was like, I'm not entirely sure why this is sort of why these two tag teams appear to hate each other, but they do. And I'm going to quite enjoy this because it looks nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think what 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 I found interesting was like obviously Sable is now married to Brock Lesnar. They've got kids together yeah, and yeah. everything, and it, it was the way they were building her up. Now Luna, I always remember as Luna Vashon, like when she first mm. came in it, she ends up with Gangrel, doesn't she? The next year in the mid from ninety nine and stuff. Now obviously she's not with us. She's passed away now, but she was a great wrestler. And one of the things they said with her in this match, Vincent Manamat said to her was. Do not, whatever you do, you do not hurt Sable. Because Sable 
was riding this, as you say, you're right, that the whole angle was Sable was outshining Mark Miro. Now, you say about Mark Miro, I, I remember my first ever match at WCW, I watched it about 91, it used to be on Channel 4 now and again in Channel 5. I think Channel 5 went out then, so it'd be Channel 4. It was his gimmick, he was Johnny B. Bad, and he had a big mullet in WCW, and he, and he did the mm. same moves he did in WWF when he come in as Mark Miro and stuff. Uh, me, Mark Miro, but uh, same thing, he was a Golden Gloves champion, but he was a terrible gimmick. He had like boas on and stuff like Hulk Hogan wore later on in NWO and that, and big Ric Flair gowns and that. He was te- I don't know if you ever saw him, Scott. He's absolutely terrible gimmick. I think I've seen it. Yeah, I think I've seen it. He's absolutely terrible. And I remember him coming into the WWF and he would say like he's an ex-Golden Gloves champion and all this, which he was. And I think they play on it really well because everyone loves Sable because she was stunning. She was like mm. the, the nice version of Sonny. Sonny was basically the girl you want to meet on a night out for a one night stand, whereas Sable was the one you wanted to marry and have kids with and settle down. That's how <laughs> I'm not being, I'm not being derogatory towards Sonny. That's how they played the characters. Mm. Sonny was basically would do anything to get a ladder up in the WWF. That was her character. Unfortunately, that's why it's always weird. She ends up with the Legion of Doom. We were always faces. They were never heels. Legion of Doom really. So, um, I just found out. Anyway, they did all that, and and soon as Gold Dust come out and he had that silver outfit on, obviously uh, <laughs> Dustin Rhodes with that fucking negligee thing. I was like, oh yeah. fuck me, I forgot about this. And then Luna comes out, and then at every turn, Sable she chins Gold Dust. He's six foot five, knocks him clean yeah. out on the floor. Luna gets it. Mark Miro gets a load of abuse off her. They're making a hot all the way through the game. However, the one thing I would say, and she needs to have a word of her husband, is the fact that Mark Miro and her move is basically the F5, the, the TKO or whatever yes. you call it, is the F5. I was going to call that out, yes. I was like, that looks familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, so, what? I was, I was a bit shocked by that. I have to admit, though, I'll tell you what, I was a bit shocked with how where this match went um because i mean they set it up like basically that like sable's standing alone you know what i mean they sort of they, they make it clear that like uh mark mira is more than likely going to walk away from her you know he's, he's just as likely to sort of step in and help her as he is to walk away from her um and so i kind i kind of like that they had that dynamic going on um and then you've obviously got like the, the craziness that is gold dust. And there's a couple of moments in this match I I quite like. I think that you know, he, he plays it in a really weird, sleazy way. Um and I've always kind of liked Goldust. I always find him weird. Um, you know, so even like later on when he comes back and he's in the full gold and he does all that kind of stuff. Um but like I say, look when Sable kicks off at the end and she sort of takes it to them and starts doing like you know, and the kicks the only way they can refer to it is she's doing martial art kicks. Like that's what they refer to the move <laughs> as. Martial art kicks, and you're like, well, it's, it's a kick. Anyone else does this? She'd just be like, it's a high kick. What? what? Um It's not, though, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's clearly not a martial art kick. It's just a kick. Um but they like you say, they they they're really pushing her to come out as this as um as the you know, as the sort of as a, as the goodie, and I think she does a really good job. Um, I think she sells it well, and I think she sort of like holds her own in this. Because to me, I always remember Sable just being sort of like you say the eye candy and stuff, but she actually she actually comes across well in this. Yeah, she does, and I think one thing was quite interesting listening to this again was the way Jim Ross, who's always the straight, the good guys, the face commentator, mm. and and Jerry Lawler was always the heel. Uh, is the fact that. 
Jim Ross is just throwing Mark Miro under the bus. He's like, he's basically going, he's basically going, look at that bastard, Mark Miro taking all the all the uh, the praise. He's like, well, he has actually kicked the shit out of Goldust. He's not just been sat there. He had to put no, Moose to pin him. He did, Come on, see, yeah, he, he did do something. He was yeah. involved. Um, he was very biased, and I could see it as they're walking out. Oh, here he is again, Mark Miro taking all the credit for for Sable's um, hard work. I'm like, wow, Jr. Wow. <laughs> I would say that there was a couple of things in this from JR. That, um, JR, and, and, I mean, Jerry Lawler, um, I think he's very good. He's a very good colour commentator. He sort of, you know, he's, 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 he's perfected that thing of being sort of like a bit of a dick, but like, never, you know, he's sort of like, he's pulled back a bit on it now these days. But, um, you know, always being that heelish sort of the colour commentator heel. Um, and I've always quite liked him for that. I do like Jerry Lawler's commentary. You know, um, uh, he's really fun. But Jim Ross, Jim, Jim Ross, you can almost do like Jim Ross bingo. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are certain things that he's always going to come out with. And he says it in this, you know, like, like uh, he's as tough as a government mule. And yeah. uh, it's going to be a knockdown, drag out, slobber knocker of a match. Like, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> And I'm like, so you know, I would, I'd love to do that. Like, you know, can I do, can I do sort of, uh, um, G- Jim Ross bingo? I might do that on the next pay per view I watch. You'll have um, to. Be- I, I, I love his commentaries though; they are so good. Oh, it's amazing when he gets irate and he's arguing with Lawler. Yeah. I fucking yeah. love it. But I, I agree. This this is where I think the pay per view starts to turn. This is a solid match. This it's it's yeah, it not is. it's not completely dragging me in, but it's turning me. Around from what I've seen before it, and I think it's it's a very good point that they had this in because obviously from here with the next few matches, the next uh, these three more matches in there or four more matches are mm. dynamite for me. I think in, in different ways. Yeah, no, I totally agree. This was the moment that the show starts to turn around. Like you say, it wasn't it wasn't lightning in a bottle. It wasn't amazing, but the fact that I was backing Sable by the end of the match, I was like, ah, oh, this is working for me. Like they're doing something now that I'm, I'm quite, I'm getting into, I'm quite enjoying this now. Um, so, but yeah, by this point I'm, I'm getting quite excited. I'm like, oh, okay, there's some good stuff coming up now. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, and the next one, the next one is, um, is quite, is, is really good fun. Actually, I, especially the finish. Uh, it's the rock versus Ken Shamrock. Um, and you'll know this because I, I, I'm never entirely sure. I can't remember. Ken Shamrock wasn't was a proper um, like fighter, wasn't he? Like a UFC kind of fighter. And he stuff. was a heavyweight champion. He, he was the yeah, he was. Wasn't he? US, I, my thing with Ken Shamrock was when he came into the wrestling in '98. Mm. Uh, Ultimate Fighter was being shown. To, so UFC one was around about '93, but we were on about like UFC. 15 or whatever at this point and he'd been in and out of the UFC at this point and then obviously you got Dan Severin came and he was a cage fighter but you also had uh, oh what's the other guy um Don there was another cage fighter who fought against I think Dan Severin was the main one fought against Ken Shamrock and they had proper brawl and stuff and I think Dan Severin beat Ken Shamrock but I got into the UFC or to MMA from Ken Shamrock because oh, really? I love Ken Shamrock. I loved his look. He had, he's got a great body in this. He's a stock yeah. meathead. He's, he's tough. He was always the one they used as like an enforcer, didn't he? Because he, he was a genuine, a tough guy in real life. Mm. And we always, like, obviously, you've got the match, haven't you? The uh, guest referee and stuff where he, he does it with... It's Austin in it. Austin and... Oh, who's it? He's, he's a... 
he's a special force. He's a special I know, player. I know what you mean. Basically, because he basically has the referee shirt that's like spray painted on, isn't he? Yeah, with his arms out and stuff, and he's, yeah. he's, the, he's the ref and everything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, I believed in him, and I remember pursuing like the UFC stuff. So whenever I could get it, because he wasn't always available like it is now. But I've literally been an MMA fan because of Ken Shamrock from this point, and that's where I think. Later on in the 2000s, especially the middle 2000s, I had a massive problem watching the products, even though it was a good era of like Edge and, mm. you know, I know he was a, what happened with, with um, Benoit and stuff and Eddie Guerrero and that, but, but that toothless aggression era uh, was brilliant, but it just, I was into the proper stuff then, a proper fighting really badly. And I've, I've watched UFC probably more. I watch UFC now and I very rarely watch the uh, current product, to be honest, because I, I, MMA is pretty much up there with football for me. It is good. I mean, what I'll say is though, there's two things I'll say about Ken Shamrock. Because uh, he looks, like I say, he, he is, he, he, you can tell just from the way he carries himself. Like He's a legit tough guy. Like You wouldn't mess with him. Um he he's got the John Bernthal look about him, to be honest. I don't know why, yes. but every time I see him, I'm like, oh, he looks like he would have been like a like him and John Bernthal, like they're sort of like separated by time. They'd be amazing together. Um, but the, yeah, the other thing is, I see when he gets in that ring um, and he works with the Rock, and the Rock is again is is he's a, I've always thought the the Rock's a great worker but a fantastic entertainer. Yeah, so he, he knows how to sort of like use like four moves in different ways and make them look fantastic every you know in in different ways. Um, but his move set is never going to be you know massive. Um, but there are a few moments in this in this match where you do think, oh, Ken Shamrock's a little bit tight with that. <laughs> like some of, some of his shots and some of his moves, I'm a bit like you know he's 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 a bit tight with that one. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, and the rock sort of like looks a bit like stunned, um, but like you say, it looks. Um, we've said before about you know th- this is almost the opposite of that uh, Taka Mishinuka and Aguila match, right? Because this feels like a rumble, like this feels like a proper brawl at times. Um, and I, I was, I was by, by the end of this match, I was well into it. I was really enjoying it. I was, I loved it, and I loved the fact that. Shamrock gets disqualified. I don't know. They gets reversed the decision because yeah. of his ankle loggers, which is utter yeah. bollocks. But obviously, <laughs> this is when the Rock starts to evolve. This this pay per view is very important because this is where the Rock evolves. He takes over the nation because Farouk sort of leaves and becomes. He gets with uh, Bradshaw then, doesn't he? And becomes like the mm. APA as such, um, or the acolytes and stuff at this That's point. It, yeah. um, but he becomes the leader of the nation. And then slowly, this is when he, he's starting to evolve into the rock, you know, know your role and all that stuff, mm. Tibroni and all this. And that's exactly what is going on. I mean, I don't think it's this pay-per-view because I've watched like the 99 Royal Rumble, but the, 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 that Royal Rumble the year later is when he does the, uh, you know, you smell what the rock is cooking. He does a weird interview with this woman, dead sleazy, but he's still a bad guy then. And, and I think the nation doesn't last much longer after this. But what I love more than anything, Scott, is at the end, is Shamrock. He's just standing up doing these <laughs> body slams, like these belly-to-belly yeah. slams. And when he does Mark Henry, fucking amazing. Yeah, it's it's they've got him cornered. I mean, that's the thing. So it's just, I mean, the, the, you know, you've got the Rock. Uh, there's because obviously there's an angle here as well that the Rock sort of at some point previously has uh, given uh, Farouk a um, a chair shot, um, and so you know, so that you, but you, so the Rock's accompanied to the ring by D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry um, as the nation of of domination. <clears throat> um, 
And they come out and say they've sort of it's the match. I mean, the match is good. It's good. For, it's fine. It's a pretty good match. I'm enjoying the match. Um, and uh, it leads up to because it keeps sort of that. And that's the thing I like about it. It keeps lead. This one actually escalates. Like it escalates to the finish. Um, so when he locks on that ankle lock, and the rock's really selling it. You know, the rock's obviously busted up a little bit. There's, he's got a bit of blood on. It looks cr- like really good. But Ken Shamrock sells it like an absolute psycho, like he won't let go. And I was like, "This is brilliant! I'm like, I'm so into this right now. This is amazing." Um, yeah, this is good. I mean, it goes all over as well. The sort of the fact they're fighting outside the ring and they do all the bits and pieces. Like, this is a, this is this is getting into the kind of stuff I really enjoy of this era. Yeah, I agree, and, and it's come back to me actually, Scott, because probably people listening are like, "Is that one?" Ken Shamrock was the ref at WrestleMania 13 between Stone Cold and Bret Hart because I've just watched the uh, Stone Cold and Bret Hart Broken Skull Sessions uh, on mm. the network where they're talking about their match. Sorry, Ken Shamrock was the ref. That's, that's where that was. I knew it was one of them. I couldn't remember. I watched that many events this week. I couldn't remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. I mean, I, I like the fact that, like, um, and again, this comes back to that commentary, like, because, you know, the referees all corner him in the, in the, in the, the corner of the ring. And... Um, they go down like he looks like a wild animal. Does he even know where he is? Does he even know what he's doing? <laughs> and he's like body to body slamming all these referees and stuff. And you're like, he's just like Ken, Sh- Ken Shamrock's on like, just on one. And then he runs out the ring to attack the to attack the Rock, who's being looks um, again one of those famous like wrestling tropes. He's being like ferried out of the ring on a on a gurney on like a hospital stretcher. And they're like, you know, oh, will he walk again? And then he just comes out and starts leathering on him in the on the in the in the, the aisle. <laughs> It's brilliant. It's fantastic. <laughs> Will he walk again? That is yeah. fucking nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? I love, I love all that. I, I totally agree. I, that's the sort of shit. I mean, I watched uh, Royal Rumble '91, and me and my brother and my brother's best mate, and I'm, I've got like three brothers. And uh, one of them's a lot younger than me. He's like 25, 26. And he loves the wrestling. He grew up with it because of me. I sort of, he only lived with me for a few years and then I left and he, he was, you know, he was only like five or six, but he's always watched the wrestling because of my influence mm. and played the games as he was a teenager with me and all that, like the PS2, you know, SmackDown games. Um, we always send each other stuff. So we always send this Jay Lethal thing on Facebook. Jay Lethal, when he's in TNA, does an impression of Ric Flair. Have you ever seen it, Scott? He's... I think so. I've seen, I think I've seen it on YouTube. It's truly amazing. So he's a, he does a great impression of, of Rick. So we tag each other on that literally every day. The three of us just keep tagging this video. This video is getting hundreds of views because of us, because we do it every day just to wind each other up. <laughs> we always say, like, have you seen this video? And like people do. And it's us. If you look on the timeline of this video, there's thousands of comments, but it's just us streaming it every day, literally tagging each other. And then the other one is the big show because of JR. You said about JR's commentary. And I was watching Royal Rumble 91, right? At uh, 2001, sorry. And the big show had obviously not been in it for ages. He comes in as a surprise entrance. Starts levering everybody. And he picks up Val Venus. And he picks him up and slams him. And JR goes, it's like a man playing with children. And you're like, what <laughs> the hell? You can't say stuff like that. But they're the sort of stuff that with JR, it's absolutely... Yeah. Fucking amazing! Uh, His commentary with Stone Cold made Stone Cold as well. To be honest, absolutely. Yes. Brilliant. Oh yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it, it's just his enthusiasm because it, it escalates throughout the event as well. Like you know, like you say. So by this point, like he's he's sort of he's really warming up. Um, and so like you say, it's it's just 
<clears throat> they're starting to sort of tickle that thing of like, oh, we can do something a bit more hardcore because yeah. you've had this sort of like event, uh, this match, and it's oh, okay, so I'm up for it now. And so the fact that they follow that up, this up with a sort of a, a dumpster match um, is is again is sort of like it's one of the things that you sort of like you go it, from a booking point of view. I can sort of see what they were doing because you get two singles matches either side of it. Um, but I was like, okay, this is this is bizarre, um, and you know. Again, we've talked about this throughout the thing about the sort of like the weird sort of um, how thin the roster was for big talent at this point, because this is almost like you you know you got you're two matches now away from the main event, and you're about to do a dumpster match with the New Age Outlaws, uh, Billy Gunn and um, Jesse the Road Dog, versus Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. <laughs> now. I will say I'm a massive uh, Mick Foley fan, huge Mick Foley fan. I've always have been, you know. From I, I, I've retrospectively gone back and watched all the sort of like you know, the ECW, the Japanese, uh, the the, sort of the WCW stuff, all these kinds of things. Um, and so Cactus Jack has this sort of like you know this this sort of aura about him that they utilize. I mean, they utilize it fantastically. A couple of years later, um, for uh, Mick Foley versus Triple H. Uh, yeah. Royal, Royal Rumble 2000. Um, and they have the street fight, don't they? Yeah. And in that, they're sort of like, you know, he's because he's, um, he's he's there as mankind in the white shirt and the mask. And it's, it's one of my favorite segments of all time. It's easily my top five segments, uh, wrestling, sort of like non wrestling wrestling segments, you know, sort of like the interviews and stuff, promo segments, um, is when sort of like mankind comes out and he says like you know what you bust my face you bust me up i can't face you at royal rumble and you need so i'm you know we need a replacement and i'm gonna name him right now and he pulls off the mask and he pulls open the shirt and he's like his name's cactus jack and i was like um i think cactus jack is such a great character and you know he's obviously got terry funk but they don't seem to do anything with them in this there's no pomp or pageantry it's just sort of like they just sort of bring them out so that they can up they can basically sort of. It's all about selling um, the the new age outlaws, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yet they, um, yet, yet they lose. <laughs> yeah, they, they lose, and and obviously Terry Funk, which I don't know why he was called Chainsaw Charlie. I still can't work that out. And, no. and you, you said off off air that you're right. He, Jim Ross is called him Terry Funk. So yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is the fucking point of having this? This name is is just nonsense. However, I would say that it's a good match. It's a solid match. Mm. But, but Terry Funk's in his fifties here. I mean, Terry mm. Funk wrestled till he was in his seventies. He's about seventy five now, and he still keeps saying he's going to have one more match. Uh, now. I know when I've done my podcast, we've had him on. He's been in Roadhouse. He's a baddie in Roadhouse, one of the doormen. And he's it's the in one we did the other week over the top. And I said to Dave, Teddy Funk, the wrestling Dave's going, I ain't got a fucking clue who that is. But that's obviously Teddy Funk. He's in this. But I think what's weird about this old Scott as well is it seems to when, because they go out of the arena and he gets in the forklift and, the, and that one of them yeah. the, yeah. there's a couple of high spots. It's one where Mankind or, or Cactus Jack and Billy Gunn fall off the, the ladders and they both yeah. fall in the bin. That's a, that, they had to have that perfect because uh, a foot either way and they're getting seriously hurt and they yeah. land perfect. So I give them that. There was a couple of good spots there. However, the ending was a bit shit, I thought, because he, he double DDTs them and stuff and then obviously Cactus Jack... Uh, puts the thing over and then Terry Funk's in the stacker truck with the pallet and all that and he's pushing it in but he, 
there's no euphoria there because the crowd aren't there. They're not connected to it. I don't know whether you picked up on that. I just, for me, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but for me, it just felt a little damp and a bit dry at the end. I just didn't feel it. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. It's, it's a weird finish to a match. <clears throat> in that, like I say, they build it up in the arena because you've had the dumpster sort of wheeled down, and, and they've, like I say, they've had some pretty good spots. I mean, you know, like I said, there's a, like I said, the moment of, of uh, Cactus and, and Billy Gunn coming off the ladder. There's a moment where uh, Cactus Jack's like somersaults, he basically gambles into the side of the dumpster to try and get uh, Jesse um, Road Dog. And it's like there's all these like, there's some great moments in this match. It's, it's it's actually quite good fun, you know. There's some some good hardcore moments. <clears throat> um, and then like I said, they leave the ring, and then they leave the arena. They're, they're all backstage, and there's um, some some good moments. Like there's sort of the pair of New Age Outlaws beating up um, Cactus as they go around. <clears throat> and I kept thinking, oh, it's going to go in a circle, and they're going to come back through the crowd back to the ring. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then they don't, and then they just sort of they just sort of seem to finish it in a dumpster just by the car park, <laughs> and it's it, it sort of it does it ends on like a real damp squib, and you're like, oh, well, okay, well they won, um, but it, the other thing is as well is like you say, you clearly know that this match has got no legs, if you know what I mean, in the sense that they win the tag team championship, so you know Cactus Jack and and, and Chainsaw Charlie win or Terry Funk win the tag team championships. But as you say, this the whole first four, like four minutes of this is the New Age Outlaws bigging themselves up. They're like the new and up-and-coming thing. And then the next night, they join DX. So yeah. it's clear that this is going to be sort of like, a, you know, a, a sort of a quick, all right, well, they've won it for a week and then they got it back. Um, it's fun. I really, enjoy, I did enjoy this match. I went tonight. I did enjoy this match. So I always watch. I always enjoy watching Terry Funk work because I think, like you say, even when he's like, he, when, even when he's not doing great because he's clearly injured or whatever, like he gives it his all. Um, so I enjoyed this, but yeah, I was confused by the finish. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. Exactly the same. Now, Scott, obviously, I'm not trying to take over, but let's go on to these main events, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Go on, then. I'll let you go on. You can do the next one. What's the, the next sort of, uh, the next singles match? Well, for me, this one is Brother v Brother, which even at 19, I'm trying to work out my age, I was 19 when this was, was on. I still believe that Kane, who'd come into it, decimated Undertaker the Royal Rumble when was meant to show Michael certainly his back. Um, and it it built up and built up, didn't it? He was going to fight his brother, mm-hmm. and he and he showed on the Titan Tron before that he wouldn't hit Kane. Kane was smacking him. He's like, "No, it's my little brother." And then eventually, the Undertaker snaps. And I was this is one of the gimmicks Undertaker v Kane. Even as in, I was nineteen, I was actually, you know, that's my future wife. I'm, I'm in a relationship, <laughs> and at nineteen, I'm still believing that this is fucking real. It's just because I used to think. I used to think. Some of it's not real. Like I went for a big thing with Austin, even at 17, 18, going, no, no, it's definitely real. Like, it's not like the other stuff. It's, I honestly believe, because Austin was so good, like with Triple H mm-hmm. and that, that I, I just put it to the back of my head that it wasn't, it was fake. You know, it wasn't fake. It was fake, sorry, but I knew it was. And I just, I just went with that. It was real. And this again, why would you have somebody who dressed like a fucking undertaker and a guy with a mask on? You'd be fucking people would be running in the streets, but you'd be like, "Oh, it's his brother. He's burnt him. He's he's he's, he's left him in a burning house and all this." So I've teed that up a bit. Scott, well, what what was your whole thing with this angle? 
I, no, I'm, I'm with you. I loved it. I mean, the, the the thing that makes this for me is Paul Bearer, which, and let's be honest, like that, if, if you're going to call anyone anything, Paul Bearer and The Undertaker, what a gimmick. I mean, uh, and also, like you say, having someone be able to have a pun as a name is always good. Um, but his sort of like, you know, high-pitched, squeaky voice and sort of like, but being that sort of like the dumpy guy, and I, was, I, I love Paul Bearer as a manager. You know, the, oh, yes, and all that kind of stuff. Brilliant. He's amazing. Um, so all this thing, like I say, where he was building up and he kept saying to him, like, you know, Undertaker, he's coming. He's coming for you. And it was building up and building up. And then he eventually appeared. I can't remember what, what event was it at, but it was a hell in the cell, wasn't it? Was it Shawn Michaels, Triple H, uh, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, yeah, um, hell in the cell. And it all goes red and he, he rips the door off the cage and all this other stuff. Um and you're just like, my God, this guy's an animal. Like, this is incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so I, I was well into it. I was so into this sort of gimmick. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, and, and the fact he is as big as, uh, and if not meatier than sort of, than Taker, um, like, he looks like a legit threat. Like, this is someone who has, you know, Taker's been someone who sort of like ran through the WWE for, what, since the early 90s. Um, and decimated so many people. Everything from you know, from Hogan to um, what was the um, the sumo wrestler? Oh, Yokozuna. Yokozuna, and all this other stuff. So he's done all this stuff, and you're like, oh, so. And now you've got somebody. I was legitimately thinking, like, yeah, this guy could do damage to Undertaker. This is incredible. So, it, yeah, it's funny, you know, Scott, because I don't remember WrestleMania nine. They brought in El. Giante, or Giante, he was from WCW. Big Mexican wrestler. He's about seven foot seven, huge. And WrestleMania 9 was actually in Vegas at Caesars mm. Palace. Obviously, I love Vegas, as you yeah. know. I always go on about it, bore everyone's senses with it, but I love that city so much. And it led up to it where he come out, El Giante, with Harvey Whippleman, and he had this weird, like, fake bodysuit on. It was like a, uh, like a, a a sort of all-in-one sweatsuit, but with fake abs and, and chest there. Yeah. Remember, he made him look like yeah. he was muscly. But he towered over the Undertaker. Obviously, the Undertaker, but he's genuinely six foot ten. Mark mm. uh, Calloway, six foot ten. So he's Kane. But when he come into this, I totally agree. I never bought that gimmick. You knew Undertaker was going to win. At first with El Gigante, he kept hitting him. Nothing happened. Then eventually beat him at WrestleMania 9. However, and we never really saw him again. When you saw this guy come in, Kane, you were like, Oh shit, he's in trouble. Now I remember him as Dr. Isaac Yankum. The, the, <laughs> the that's dentist. another but yeah, the dent another terrible he was Jerry Lawler's dentist. It was also with Bret yeah. Hart, wasn't it? And that, but he was a terrible dentist. But I remember him then, Glenn Jacobs, and he'd done a couple of little gimmicks, but the, the Isaac Yankum was terrible. But they only acknowledge that sort of stuff now, don't they? Because mm. you didn't know who he was. He had a mask on, everyone was like, Who is this guy? He must be and I I'm with you. I think this was brilliant WWF storytelling uh, it's finest for me and having Paul Bearer there to be the bit like what Paul Heyman is who brought Lesnar he's the mouthpiece Paul Bearer had that mystique didn't he all the time that stupid voice he used to do and everything yeah I, I, I've always been a fan of Paul Bearer so it, 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 I always like a manager I, I like the sort of the baddie managers I think they're, they're great um, but this one I say the, even the costume the costume they chose you know the whole gimmick was that I mean the story was that apparently Undertaker had set fire to their parents' mortuary um, and uh, when they were young. 
<laughs> which when you, even when you say it, it's ridiculous, and had killed for whatever reason he taken like a, some some psychotic break or something, and he had burnt it down and, and killed. He thought he'd killed his brother. And so, sort of like Cade comes out, and he's like, say, he's huge. He's he's just a big, meaty bloke. He's wearing that mask, and he's got one arm sort of revealed, and then basically, he's sort of his um, his costume sort of covers the rest of his body, doesn't it? And so, you're sort of led to believe that, like, no, he, he, all, the only thing that's not burnt is this one arm. Um, and I was just like, it's I don't know for some reason, like, I was just I was just buying it. I was so into it. It's such a good. Um, it's I mean, it's soap opera level storytelling, like, you know. It's 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 EastEnders kind of level ridiculousness, but it works, you know. Um, and I like the fact that it's supposed to be relatively supernatural as well. Like then they could bring down lightning and make fires, or the Undertaker can sort of like be burnt in a coffin and then disappear and all this other stuff. Like it was it was just good. It was just really sort of like like you said, it was it was WWF doing th- do, doing a story well. Yeah. Yeah, and as always, Scott, the Spanish announce table with Tito Santana <laughs> got a kick in, as usual, did it? They always end up on the floor, the Spanish announce people. You can always, you can always tell when that's going to happen because they get introduced probably about five minutes beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. You'll, get, you'll get Jerry Lawler or whatever and going, don't forget we're with, or JR will be like, <clears throat> and we're joined by our great Spanish announcing team. And you're like, oh, they're about to get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Tito Santana obviously was was... El Matador, he was he was mm. in. He was a tag team champion mm. at one point, I think, in the eighties. And obviously, he was never good enough. Really, he was proper mid card, but he was always have his glasses on, wanted giving that sort of insight. Yeah. But I always used to think, are they really doing Spanish commentary or not? You know, like some people in Mexico, I used to think it was bullshit. To be honest, it was just like a prop. Well, can you imagine if that was your? If you know, we 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 watch and we're getting sort of Jerry Lawler and Jr. <clears throat> and you're thinking, oh, we got constant. You got a constant. Um, commentary if you're listening to this in spanish language yours gets interrupted at least once a show yeah where sort of like for at least 10 15 minutes you've got nothing <laughs> you've got no commentary because they've just been laid out by someone coming over the top rope <laughs> yeah so it must be really frustrating <laughs> <laughs> hello are you there hello yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no he's on the fucking floor at the moment but no i agree very, very bizarre. It was like a running gimmick, wasn't it, through the, mm. the late 90s and that, that. And then Undertaker obviously wins. He does three tombstones. But again, he, he beats him. But then Kane still does it on him, doesn't he? And ends up sort of... Uh, it, it's... I don't know. It's It was a good match. This is a great match. There's nothing mm. wrong with this match. I just wish Undertaker could have walked out without actually getting attacked again by Kane, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have been better with a clean finish, um, which would have been nicer. But I, I, again, I like the finish because again, like you know, there's the moment that he, um, you know, when Kane tombstones uh, Taker, uh, and you know he, he does that, and you think, oh my god, like that's you get obviously you get the the JR reaction, and there is a moment because he gets a two count from it and he just pushes out. You know, like, oh my god, that's that's actually sort of like you know that's quite impressive. Um, yeah, I was I was even knowing like the result of this and everything else that comes after this. Um, I was, I was actually on quite, I was quite tense watching this one. Yeah. Like I, know, I know Taker wins this match because of the streak and everything else. Um, but yeah, I, I was, all that was out of my head and I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm so into this. Yeah. I'm with you on it. I'm with you on it. Now, Scott, 
I'll be honest with you, this is the main event now. Now, I mm. I am my favorite wrestler ever is Stone Cold Steve Austin. I might have a game attack, a Hulkamania, which I was as a kid. I love the Hulk and Ultimate Warrior stuff. Stone Cold Steve Austin, 316. Even now, he's been on the wrestling this week on Raw. I never watch it, but I always tune in when he's on. And he had an empty crowd and he still sold it to them all. I love Austin. And I, I, this match, I was in complete or at like 19 years old, because Mike Tyson was there, the enforcer won it. Shawn Michaels was just like the champ. He was an arse, an arrogant guy. He, and we'll get into that, obviously, with that. But I loved it. What What was your... Did you Do you remember any of this? Because I remember this whole storyline leading up to it. I was in... I was watching Raw religiously at this point. Um I do not as probably as, as as much as that. I do remember it, and again, I'm I'm a Stone Cold fan, like massive Stone Cold fan. Like the the moment that glass breaks, um, it's just one of those noises. You know, you sort of you hear it, and you can't help but the da 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 da. He goes, um, I, I'm I'm all I was I'm, I'm I'm all in on Stone Cold. Um, but the setup for this match, uh, again, that like we just talked about the the good storytelling of of Taker and Kane, and that was more like fantasy, you know, that sort of the the soap opera kind of stuff. There's an authenticity to this, though, isn't there? Because this is like a grudge rather than some ridiculous story. Um, and so, like, yeah, the, the lead up to this is is I went back and watched a couple of bits and pieces, and I, it was really good. Again, it's one of those where um, you know Vince, obviously, and the writing team, whoever, like they they got it right. You know, they tapped into the pop culture of the time, bringing in Mike Tyson. It gets the attention of the press and all that kind of stuff, um, and. Uh, it, yeah, it it just feels like you know, um, it it just sort of feels. I don't know. Authentic feels is the best way I can describe it. Like you know, there's it gets a bit silly when it was just you know when all of a sudden they reveal he's a member of DX or he's going to join DX. And you think, well, I can't see Mike Tyson doing this for the long haul. But all right, up to WrestleMania, it'll be good fun. And um, but yeah, they played this perfect. They really did. Yeah, they did. And I, I think when I was still believing that it was real was I never ever forget this was when Austin was in the ring to sign the contract because originally Tyson was supposed to be the referee and for some reason they changed they obviously couldn't referee so it's to be an enforcer was the pushing match that ensued he had all Mike Tyson's entourage and Austin ends up like jumping on one of Mike's bodyguards and giving him the fake punches and Mike's sex I never forget Mike looking at him and like they look at each gets in his face and he does this thing with his hands Tyson and then shoves him but you can see when he shoves Austin, he shoves Austin flying back. As yeah. I think Austin's like, oh, shit. Even though it's fake, and he said, push me. And Austin looks bigger than Tyson. Tyson has got, obviously, that inner strength, you know, mm. and, and he, he knocks uh, he knocks him flying. And then I always remember that as a build-up and how, like, he was double-crossing him. Now, I, I remember this as well, because as I said, but the insider stuff was... Because of the Montreal screw job, Shawn Michaels didn't want to lose the match at WrestleMania. He felt that like he'd paid his dues, he'd put himself out there, he'd, he'd really made himself unpopular with the dressing room, uh, and Vince McMahon was going to reward him. But Vince McMahon wanted to give it to Stone Cold. Now, I watched uh, something with Bruce Pritchard and read some stuff about it. Bruce Pritchard was brother love one. He still works at the WWE now in the background. And he said that out of a 10, one, one being that somebody worked, you work with one of the wrestlers, he's great and he's really, really hassle free. Said Shawn Michaels was like a 9.5 or 10 around this time. He was an absolute ass. He said he didn't want to drop the strap to Stone Cold, not because of Stone Cold, but he felt like he deserved top billing, even over Tyson. 
he had a drug dependency thing. So I'm not speaking out of term here. This is all documented. Sean Michael mm. says it all. He had a drug dependency issue. He wasn't going to drop the title. And the Undertaker had come back from his match. And as he was the locker room leader, and he said that the Undertaker, Bruce Pritchard said the Undertaker sat there and was strapping his wrists up and basically told everybody, Shawn Michaels does not do the right thing. He gives Steve the bell. I'm going to basically kick the shit out of him. <laughs> now, I watched something with Shawn Michaels just before we recorded, and he says... The Undertaker did everything you're saying, but the only thing I didn't see was him wrapping his things up. He basically went round and said to Hunter and everyone, if he doesn't do the job, this is like the worst thing for the locker room and the morale of everyone. And he's going to be asked, he went, I'm going to fucking basically beat him up. And Scott Michael says, he's in Manchester, actually. It was a, a show from a couple of years ago. He says, he actually was going to beat me up, you know, and all that. So he admits that he was a horrible person around this time. Very arrogant, believing in the character. And then after the match... I know we'll talk about the match, but when Mike Tyson puts the Stone Cold T-shirt on his face, he didn't want that. They were going to do that, and he said, I don't want it. And basically, Vince overrode and told him to put it on his face because he was knocked out from the punch. Mm. And that's why Shawn Michaels tried to burst into the press conference at the end because he felt that, one, he should have still had top billing, and two, he'd been disrespected. And that's when he retired then at that point because of his injuries and stuff. He had to have a back operation. But yeah, what a arrogant man. I mean, you wouldn't even think he's the same person now because he's, a, he's a, you know, found God and everything. He's a really, really nice bloke. He's made amends to Bret Hart and everyone else. He, he really is a different person, but he was a horrible person and that made his character even better, I think. Oh, well, that, yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the things they always say, isn't it, is the best sort of wrestling gimmick is actually you, you know, the real person that like, turned up to 11. You know, they yeah. need to do it all out. <clears throat> and so that, that arrogance, that sort of... Um, self-assured sort of obnoxiousness comes through like literally oozes off him um um but weirdly i mean even before the match starts you know they they go to the gorilla position and you see them sort of ready to come out sort of like uh michaels is there with china and um and triple h and he says like this is for you earl and it's obviously because earl hebner's in hospital yeah um and so you're like oh okay that's sort of quite a an interesting sort of moment to capture on film and then, like, you know, he goes to the he goes to the curtain, and, and he's off being his usual obnoxious self. Um, but he does have a charisma, and I think oh, that's yeah. what's so good about it. Like that's why I like Shawn Michaels that he can be, and you know he's being an obnoxious prick. You know he's going to be this person, but he's got such a sort of a lovable charisma that it's almost like yeah, he's almost like the lovable prick. You know, he's, yeah. he, he, he's that friend who's always going to get you in trouble, but you're always going to let them off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think as well, I always signify this air of Sir Michaels is his body because he's geared up to fucking this. He looks massive, mm-hmm. doesn't he? He's a big lad in this, Scott. You know, you, you can see that. He always, the mid-90s era is when he really bulked on the muscle. And I think the problem is he's, he's such a good wrestler and he, he calls the matches. Like, one of the things why he created Stone Cold after this as well is earlier, a few months earlier, or maybe six months earlier, was when Stone Cold stopped being basically like a, a ring technician because he got dropped on his head, didn't he, by Owen Hart, mm. a, a pile driver. So he was injured anyway going into Stone Cold. He had a knee problem um, because he had uh, he exactly knee braces then. But also he was still not right because he literally was paralysed in the ring, wasn't he, when uh, yeah. Owen Hart dropped him on his head? Because... I watched that the other day with the Bret Hart thing. He was talking about like Owen, and when he tries to roll him up, because the match was actually a kiss my ass match. But he had yeah. to say to him, 
I can't feel my hands. And he tried to roll him up and knowing Hart just lays there. It's the worst roll up you've ever seen because Austin had to win the match. But um, yeah, it, I think that makes this even better though because Austin has to make it a brawling fight because he can't mm. do a lot of the things at this point in his career. No, I agree. I mean, it, sort of, it becomes sort of the defining characteristic of, of Austin's style then for the next sort of, you know, quite quite some time really, because he, he obviously goes off and has the operation and comes back and all that sort of stuff. And it's sort of that, that brawling style becomes um, his style. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, if, if he hadn't have had that injury, like what kind of match could have him and Shawn Michaels had at um, uh, a WrestleMania? Because he was the ringmaster, wasn't he, when he first came in? Yeah, yeah. He was the ringmaster working for Ted DiBiase, so million dollar uh, champion, yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, he he could do all that wrestling, you know, the real legit um, technical wrestling stuff. Um, but I do like that this is actually a bit of a brawl, like it's a fight, you know. And I think some of the and, and one of the things that Michaels is good at is selling, and he's he's good at bumping, like you know, he can bump like anybody. Um, and so he he gives that legitimacy to when so when someone gives him a good idea, like he makes it look good. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just it's just some of the stuff in this, some of the, the spots in this are really good. But again, when they go out the ring and they do all their bits and pieces, like it, it it's just um, th- this is a main event. Like this is a is a proper main event for me. I was really, again, I was like, I was I was proper on my edge of my seat with this one as well. I was. I'd forgotten quite a lot of the match, and I agree because. There was something Bret Hart was talking about was his his thing to give back to his opponent. He always said was that one where when he gets shoved into the turnbuckle, but Bret Hart always went in face first, didn't he? So he'd hit him mm. with like his solar plexus right in the middle of his chest and he'd fall back. Shawn Michaels, as you were saying, was he would go in and at the last minute he like flipped upside down, hit his back, and then he used to flip over the top rope, didn't he? And then end up yeah. on the ground. That was like his little gimmick all the time. And I agree. Some of the brawling stuff. And I think it works well because you've got Mike Tyson there. If you you had two guys just doing holds and fucking like the old Hulk Hogan thing, like, you know, the, the, <laughs> one, two, oh my God, no effects, intentional fortitude. And that's one thing JR says, and I love it. He comes back from Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla Monsoon used to always say the intentional fortitude when Hulk was mm. like hulking up. You know, when he's like on his back, he's about to be dead. The next minute, his hand just comes down at the last second. He's like, oh my God, he's got that intentional fortitude. And he says it, JR, in this I was pissing myself I was like oh I like that that's a proper kickback to Gorilla Monsoon yeah no, it, <laughs> some of the, and this, this is the one that, again it does have that comment of like it, it, as tough as a, a government mule he says it during this match and I'm like yes they're a proper like JR comments um, but you're right like a, a, a technical match probably wouldn't the thing is again I sometimes think like a technical match doesn't really pay off as a main event you need a bit of a brawly kind of um you know, big payoff. I think at the end for the, for that moment, um, and I like the fact that you know, they do the sort of the twist around, especially when he's trying to get the stunners in, and then sort of you know going for the sort of uh, the super kicks and all that kind of stuff. But what what do you think of the finish of this match? Um, I think it it didn't make sense because Tyson counts in one, two, three. He was an enforcer, yeah. so that we didn't have a referee, and everyone just seemed to accept it. You know, obviously. Uh, you know, we had the sweet chin music, we had the high flying stuff from uh, Michaels and all that stuff. But Austin, obviously, uh, sorry, Austin ducked the super kick, sorry, mm. and then he, he went for a stutter one, two, three. I do think because of his back injury, because you can clearly see halfway through this match, and it's a 20 minute match, this that mm. Michaels does something to his back because he's already injured, his back's fucked at this point, but he, he does something and he's limping badly. 
And, uh, and he, I think he may have just been the injury. He just couldn't carry on because you can see he's really annoyed with himself. He's not selling nothing. There. He's not faking it. He's genuinely hurt. He's limping and everything. So I think, and that wasn't played out in the storyline because they would have said like, oh, he's got a badly injured back. You don't know if he's going to defend the belt. That's the sort of stuff they would do for a face. They certainly yeah. wouldn't do it for the main heel of the company and start say, making excuses about his back and that, would they? So it'd be sort of like Austin. If if it was Austin, Austin would have like a full fucking neck brace on and that one. And then like, like they do where they, they have a, a cast on the legs, don't they? And all of a sudden one week, they just smash the cast off and the, and the, and the baddies like, the heel's like, oh, fuck, I'm in trouble. <laughs> they couldn't have done that with this. So I think genuinely Shawn Michael is really suffering in this match. Well, I think one of the things I noticed at the end, towards towards the end, there, there's at least two moments where um, you know something happens. I can't remember. Really, he gets thrown out the ring, or there's another moment where something else happens. He gets he basically gets placed, is what they call it. He, he gets placed, and Stone Cold gives him a minute. So it's. It, I honestly think that you're right. I think he does. It, you know, I, and I think it's that flip up the turnbuckle at one point because he takes it like a like really takes a hit. Um, and Stone Cold, like you know, gives him a minute, so he goes and sort of like has a bit of a moment with Tyson or whatever, um, and it just get, feels like he's giving him a breather. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah. I'm giving you a couple of seconds. I'm going to come back and get you in a second, but take take this time to sort of compose yourself, and then we'll lead to the finish. Um, but even that super kick at the end, when he goes for that super kick, uh, and it's you know, so he ducks it, and then he does the the, the stunner and stuff, and all that that whole finish. Um, it's fine. I'm happy with it, and it seems fine. But it does. It doesn't feel like it's got the energy that was there at the sort of, you say, the first half of the match. Um, and I, I do think, like I say, that that, that it's obviously to do with that injury. Um, but I don't care. Like you say, it's one of those things. Of, look, I'm so into it, and I'm so enjoying these two workers uh, that I'm. I, I, you know, the, when the finish comes, then you get that stunner. Um, it's. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big payoff. I was even I was like, yes, sort of like you know, fist pumping and sort of uh, and all in on it. Um, yeah. The, the one thing I would say is that the the double the double turn of Tyson feels uh, feels unnecessary. Yeah, I think I think what you said before Scott was right. Tyson's just pissing himself through this whole thing. He's supposed yeah. to be like this. He, he looks completely disorientated. When DX are with him at the start, because obviously Triple H and China are there, but they get run yeah. out of town, don't they, by the ref in the end, because uh, Triple H has been a bit of a cock and stuff. Uh, typical heel stuff. But every time they go to Tyson, he's just got like a, a smirk as if he's going to burst out laughing. And, and at no point did I believe anything other than the fact he was just eye candy. He was there because he was suspended from boxing because he'd bitten uh, Evander Holyfield's mm. ear off. That's the only reason they got him for Vince McMahon controversy 101. There was no reason for him to be there. He contributed fuck all to the match, really. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't believe any of it. It was he looked really, really awkward. Like they give him no training or direction where to look or move. He looked really odd. Well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought was weird because, like you say, he's. There are moments like you know, like uh, when uh, when they do send China and Triple H back. You know, they, they send them back up the sort of the entranceway and stuff, and they have to leave the ringside. And, and you can see sort of Mike Tyson sort of plays it up a little bit with that sort of like, you know, calm down, love, it's going to be fine. He sort of like, you know, he, do, he puts his hands up and he says, like, don't worry, I've got this kind of thing. But the, to, in my head, I was, I was thinking like, oh, I, I thought you sort of had at least one of those out there to give him direction. Because, you know, at this point, 
you know, Mike Tyson say controversy creates cash. I know that's sort of like the the, the ethos they're going for, but he could still be a bit of a, a loose cannon, you know. And, and leaving him on his own on, on ringside to do whatever he wants could have been disastrous, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. To be honest, I totally agree. It very, I mean, he obviously got paid a lot of money for it because he mm. wasn't earning money. Tyson, it's the whole point. He was there. he probably got a few million for that, but. Uh, yeah, interested. And again, I think he just put a nice exclamation point on it. Austin gets the win. He's been double-crossed at every point of this typical angle, heel and face. He comes out, it's his first championship win. And, you know, even Tyson chins Shawn Michaels and turns face then and puts the 316 T-shirt on Austin uh, on Michaels and everybody goes home a winner, don't they? So I think as a feel-good ending... Perfect. I think it's the last two matches, and and even uh, Shamrock. So last three matches save the pay per view for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you know, um, it, it, it considering how sort of flat this started, um, you know, I was I was really happy with that with by the end. Um, yeah, the second half, the second half is much better from that sort of like that that mixed tag team match onwards. Um, it gets better and better and better, and it really does yeah. end up. It's um, it's it's a fun WrestleMania. I think it's an important, as you said, though. I think it's an important WrestleMania. Um, it's like a transitional one, isn't it? This, this is sort of like that real sort of like shift away from. Um, it's like shedding the old school. Like there's bits and pieces still in there, but it's really starting to go away. Um, so like by '99, like even by later into this year and into '99, like it's gone really. Um, and obviously, it's Austin's first championship and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's good. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's one of the. I wouldn't say it's like a top five or I don't know, top ten manias maybe, but not a top five. Um, but yeah, no, I'd definitely watch some of the matches in this again. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I'm totally with you. I think just for the end, the end. I mean, I love like the Undertaker and Shamrocks, but I could watch Austin and Shawn Michaels. I could watch this match over and over. I think you'd still pick things up if you kept watching it a few times. I love it. Mm. Absolutely love it. Again, but it's it's more for the... I think it's such a great event you've picked, Scott, for us to have a look at. And me, for me to come on as a guest, I'm really pleased that you've asked me to come on because this is so important in wrestling history. These moments like WrestleMania 3, Hogan, Andre, it was supposed to be WrestleMania 6 when Warrior beat Hogan, that sort of fell mm. on its arse. But these pivotal moments in wrestling, like when Hogan became a member of the NWO and turned from being a, a, a face that he'd been a face for like eight or nine years and run wrestling, basically, and become a millionaire, multi-millionaire. And then he became, that is a massive moment in 96 of when he turned and became a member of the NWO. And this, I think... It's not there if someone says at the top of your head, what are the main moments? It's not even probably in the top five, but it's a very, very important match because it created Mr. McMahon, it creates The Rock, it creates Stone Cold. And they're three things I think that deserves a lot of credit for. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, this this sort of... Um, this this era, or this this section, sort of this in this WrestleMania in particular, yeah, it's given birth to a lot of things. Um you know, as you said, without sort of some of this stuff, um, you wouldn't have the the Triple H that you get early two thousands. Um, you, you know, you like you said, this is the birth of sort of the Austin Championship era. You know, you get in um, uh, the the Rock becoming the Rock. Like you know, um, there's a because there's a, there's a weird interview bit in in the lead up to the the Rock Ken Shamrock uh, match, and they show like an interview with the Rock. 
Well, he's just being sort of like, if you were the president, no, he says, if you ran WWE or WWF, and he says, oh, well, you know, he says, well, if you were the boss, he says, oh, I think, I think ruler is a better word. And um, he goes through and sort of talks about being sort of the ruler of the WWF. And it's sort of like the inkling, like, oh, okay, this is the rock sort of like starting to let himself off the leash a little bit and do his thing. Um, and you start to see it coming through. Yeah, this this is a it's a it's a it's a it's an okay WrestleMania, but it's a really important one. I think you're right. And also, just just a quick one. I'm just reading Wikipedia as you're talking there, Scott. He's uh, <laughs> Cactus Jack and uh, uh, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk or Chainsaw Charlie lost the the belts the next night because um, the New Age Outlaws said there was a stipulation that it wasn't the right dumpster that they lost the belts to, so it became a vacant title, which the New Age Outlaws won because they were now part of DX. And Chainsaw Charlie returned to being Terry Funk, and the next night Cactus Jack became Dude Love. So I'm just like. I'll have to I'll have to dig out that raw just to watch it because it sounds utterly ridiculous. Yeah. I'm gonna watch that. I love tomorrow. I uh I have to say Mick Foley um is one of my favourite him and Steve Austin are my two favourite wrestlers. Um and I think like, you know, uh if you ever get a chance there are certain books I think you read you know, you have to read it sort of if you're a wrestling fan, there are certain ones to read. Um or at least in my opinion. And Mick Foley's first book, Have a Nice Day. Um, is uh, is possibly one of the best biographies, um, and it covers all this sort of era and stuff. Um, have you ever read it? No, I haven't. And now you're saying it, I'm going to have to dig it out. <laughs> seriously, seriously good. I mean, it's really good. Um, you know, he's, he's a funny guy anyway, but like his stories of like on the road stuff that goes on, um, especially when he was on the road, sort of doing ECW and early WCW sort of stuff, when it was a bit looser and the stuff they got up to is, is crazy. But um, yeah, when he talks about some of the stuff they got and Japan, when he talks about Japan, uh, like you know some of the death matches and stuff he did, highly recommend. It's called Blood and Sweat Socks. Uh, yeah, ha- uh, Mick Foley story, uh, Blood and Sweat Socks. Um, very, very good. I've got yeah, it. Um, been, I've, I've really enjoyed this. This has been really good fun chatting about WrestleMania. Oh, thank you, Scott. Um, I've loved it, mate. No, thank you for coming on, Chris. I think we're gonna to have to do some more because you say we've got we've got our time with the WWE Network, so we're gonna to have to choose a couple more. We might be trying to see see if we can squeeze in two more for for future reference. Um, so I think what I'll do is let's choose. We've done a Mania, yeah. We've done a WrestleMania. So what are the two, what are two that we, a SummerSlam? Should we try and yeah. do? It? I'll, I'll get a SummerSlam. I'll do a poll on Twitter, and uh, you like your, you like Rumbles, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Let's do a rumble. I'll I'll see if we can get a rumble and a summer slam, and we'll do them. Good man, good man. Love it, mate. Yeah, Honestly, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Right, excellent, Chris. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Top man, and thank you so much. And I hope I didn't cut you off too much, Scott. But when I get into wrestling zone, I genuinely go all in. Oh, amazing! I love the history of wrestling. So thank you so much for uh, having me on, mate. I really appreciate it. That's great, and I love everyone's got, everyone's got their passion for it. That's where the fun lies. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing what you've got to say about a, wrestle, uh, a Royal Rumble and a SummerSlam. Good man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another great 20th Century Geek episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in contact to suggest topics for future shows or just chat about everything nerdy, you can email me at 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. That's 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. 
or find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just search for 20th Century Geek. If you would like to support the show, please go on your podcast catcher and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. It raises the show in the ranks and lets more people know about the podcast. If you want to show more support for the podcast, we do have an Amazon wish list. Just go on Amazon and search for 20th Century Geek and you will find a list of books that will help with research for future podcasts. And don't forget, we love secondhand books in 20th Century Towers. Once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.